power on. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars, and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech. Philosopher, especially that little short guy, stopping. <laughs> oh, oh, baby, with all those tears, you go ahead and you cry the golden stallion or river, baby, because whoo, I just crossed the Atlantic Ocean, just coming back whoo, from Europe. Oh, and what a time that I'm going to talk about later, because there's some interesting insights to get in from that. But all the emails that I got, oh, <laughs> I can't believe there's a tech show that doesn't like all these, all the tech giants. <laughs> what <Well>, my libertarianism? <laughs> oh, give me a break. You know, it's so funny. This show's been going whoo, almost seven years. And I still get all this hate mail from all these people that are just crying, that are saying, oh, won't you stop? Won't you stop? Are you kidding me? Seven years. I ain't ever stopping. Woo, the Golden Stallion's here for you every week, all the time, even if woo, I'm a little bit of a day late. But of course, that is because I was just crossing a giant pond, visiting that old Europe, baby. Doing a little hangout in the red light district, and oh man, all the tears from last week's episode. Speaking of that, those tears. <laughs> Stallion, <laughs> please stop talking about sex being a good thing, and that pleasure's okay, and that it's okay to be a freak. My wife will leave me if I if I don't just like keep her controlled and keep her thinking that that her her pleasure doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, your beating heart, baby. Oh, 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 oh. oh. 
Anyway, I ain't stopping nothing. Ooh, it is time for Sovereign Tech, and it is I, the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here to break it all down, to give you the bleeding edge on fucking everything, baby. Woo, you better believe it. It ain't just tech and science, even though that's where we like to concentrate. And we got some interesting tech stories to get into this week. We got all kinds of stuff to get into, but unbelievable. And patrons dropping like there's no tomorrow. Look, I don't care. How crazy I sound, I don't care how nuts you think, what the theory that I bring up or that my take is, I do this for me. I do this to get my opinions out there because for fuck's sake, and I don't know why, especially amongst a group of people that supposedly are all about being an individual, that are all about, oh yeah, question authority, question this. Look, questioning authority, I say this all the time, questioning authority isn't about being right or wrong. It's about questioning authority, you understand? Okay? And authorities comes in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't just come from government, okay? Because I'm an anarchist, you know that. It doesn't just come from uh you know, from from some textbook. It does I mean it, it can come from social pressures, it can come from all kinds of things, and I'll question it all. Because Sovereign Tech is not a show that is here to coddle your feelings, to make you feel safe, to give you confirmation bias, to add on to your echo chamber. No, no, no. This is as independent a voice as it fucking gets in this business. You understand? That's why woo, I am the podcast champion. Tap the belt there. Woo, woo. All right. Now, with all that said, oh. The emails that I got, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. What even, there's no morality. Oh, this is, guys, gals, Zs. Do you want people out there putting out interesting opinions, new opinions? Do you want hot takes? Or do you just want to hear whatever, you know, makes something palatable so that, I mean, I got the thousands and thousands of you listening every week. Okay, but do you just want palatable shit that 100,000 or a million people listen to? Do you really think that's worthwhile? Fuck no, it's not. Support genuinely independent voices, and there are far too few of us. And I, don't take my word for it, because I also, as much hate mail as I get, I get as much love mail of people saying, holy shit, you want to talk about an individual, you're talking about Brian Sovereign, baby. And thank you. Now, to get into that individuality, we've got some tech news to talk about. <laughs> From my perspective, and we've got other things to get into. We got a, uh, ooh, we got some mysteries this week. Uh, we've, oh man, there's there's so much to talk about. And then I'm going to talk about perhaps my little jaunt through uh, uh, through the old country, as it were. <laughs> Because, of course, the United States is just the colonies, right? Maybe it still is. No, all right. Woo. Um, let's let's get into this. So, uh, wow. Well, th- while I was away, and, and I'll admit, so I, I have been in Europe for a couple weeks, uh, for the past couple weeks. And some of the stuff, uh, including some of the Patreon content, uh, was pre-recorded um, that, and, you know, just kind of scheduled to release on its own. I mean, it's amazing that you're able to do that today. And it, it's a really, it's such a beautiful thing. It makes things uh, so easy uh, for me. Not to say that I wasn't really any less busy. I was still, there were still plenty of points where I was doing uh, work there. But anyway, um, you know, I've been gone for the past couple of weeks. That's part of why this episode is, is coming out late. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I still kept an eye on some tech news and science news and we're, we'll actually, we'll get into a little bit of that more later. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I was just catching up. I literally just got back, um, yesterday, that being the eighth. Um, of September. And so like I was playing, you know, very, very fast catch up with uh, with what was going on. But there's stuff that still crosses my feed that's, you know, uh, 
I get notifications for and everything that that I keep a really, really close eye on. So anyway, uh, I do want to say real quick before we go much further that September 8th, of course, uh, 52 years ago. I mean, I would have loved to have released this episode then and maybe done a little something special for it. But uh, we'll save that for another time. But 52 years ago on NBC, Star Trek premiered uh, the original series, of course, Captain Kirk and all the rest. Uh, it was the episode The Man Trap, which was not chronologically the first episode that would be where no man has gone before um that's not even counting the cage that's a whole other story but uh yeah the man trap would be the first to air and wow you know would the world literally be changed forever uh because of that i mean i I have said this so many times star trek is just the most subversive piece of art i mean it's it's in the top three it's got to be in the top three pieces or you know works of art that are the most subversive in humanity's history i mean it's got to be in the top three you know, like it's just I mean, people don't realize, you know, I and certainly parents never realized, I don't think. And they sure as hell didn't realize at the time, like just what Star Trek was putting out there and how it was really I think I, I really feel that that show, you know, evolved the human condition. And because it gave just looking at the bridge and I know like George Takei and others have talked about this, just looking at how the bridge operated on the original Enterprise it really gave you permission because we live in a permission-based culture, meaning that we think we constantly have to ask for permission from some higher authority. Okay, now, I mean, this has nothing to do with consent. That's a completely different situation. Okay, but that we have to, to, to like, think that something is socially okay to do. We have to constantly ask some kind of, you know, authority body or authority figure. I mean, that's, that's how we're raised, you know, I mean, and how many people, so, how so many people live from cradle to grave. Just watching the function that, you know, watching everything happen on the bridge of the Enterprise gave so much permission to do so many things from being able to interact with, you know, other races of humanity, shall we say, or just the concepts that we can live in relative peace. I mean, there, there's just oh, so much that it put on display that I still think is really well, I, I mentioned this. I, I made an Instagram post of all things um, celebrating it on the actual eighth. And, you know, I said, really, like, it's been molding and fashioning the best of us for, well, now 52 years. I mean, it really, really has. Uh, So happy Star Trek Day. Belated, of course. We're a day late, but uh, certainly well-deserved. And it's so exciting that Star Trek looks like it's just going to be bigger than ever now. Um, I I mean, at at the rate that things are going. But, of course, if you want to hear about all that, you can become a patron for Sovereign Tech. You go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And I do a monthly Star Trek update, which sometimes I have guests on for that. Uh, Or sometimes it's just me. We cover all the news going on in Star Trek, which is a whole ton of fun. Um, but, you know, speaking of Instagram, why don't we start breaking into our stories for this week? Um, shockingly, Instagram has finally implemented token based to or, you know, one time one time or not one time pin, but, you know, token based uh two-factor authentication, meaning that you you get where you put it in, like, say, Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator or Authy, don't use Authy, or whatever one you happen to be using, but that pin that you get that refreshes every 30 seconds, it now accepts that as to where before it did have two-factor authentication, but it was using SMS-based, which has been known and talked about certainly on this show for years that it is inherently insecure. It is not the way to do two-factor authentication. And so many other sites and services have had, uh, you know, this pin-based two-factor authentication for so long 
I, I mean, it, what what's taking this? What is taking this so long for it to be a thing? Um, and it's really, and it is not. It, it's it's just not. There was a time where it wasn't so standardized, but now it's to the point. Any service really should have this implemented. Just about anything that requires you to have an account should have this kind of, not SMS-based, it should have two-factor authentication set up. And believe me, I mean, there's some major, major, you know, Instagram, let's be clear on this, that whether you like Instagram or you use it or not is inconsequential. There are people who make their entire careers based on being, you know, based on Instagram, be they Instagram models, right? Like Erica Fett or something like that, uh, or vamp, you know, you go down the list. I mean, like there's, there's so many of them. I mean, they make their living or how many bodybuilders, I mean, or, you know, uh, yeah, bodybuilders and fitness models and everything else, you know, they really, really make their living off of, off of Instagram alone. Now I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good idea, but it's what they do. And so for so much money to be on the line and especially because Instagram is also now implementing like their own shopping carts and and everything into the, into the app itself. It's crazy that with that much money on the line, that there hasn't been two factor authentication, the proper two factor authentication yet. I mean, okay, sure. They're not going to implement YubiKey or use web auth or something like that, but for fuck's sake, at least allow us to use our, you know, our, our time-based pins. (laughs) <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, and, and look, they're not the only ones. I mean, there's there are some major, major services out there where a lot of money is on the line where they don't do that. Uh, well, Patreon, for example, Patreon. Now, they used to allow for you to have, uh, you know, the, the, the what they call, well, one-time... To- one-time password tokens or OTP um, that, you know, most people don't know that that's what they're called, but regardless, because you wouldn't think it has anything to do with the token, but that that's, anyway, that's a whole technical issue there, um, what they mean by token. It has nothing to do with the cryptocurrency. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's crazy how many sites don't have this implemented, but Instagram finally has it. Maybe that, I don't know if that's going to shame other people into, you know, in, into setting it up on their major services or what, but this really needs to be a thing or people just in general need to be running on WebAuth. In fact, I'm also shocked by that. Well, not exactly, because this is why I think you need a, a multitude of two-factor authentication options. Not SMS, though. That's one we don't need. But to have the others available, um, you know, for example, you have WebAuth, which is which uses YubiKeys or YubiKey-like, you know, the little USB devices that you can plug in. Um, you know, you can use those to, I mean, Facebook, which of course owns Instagram, you know, you can do that on Facebook already. Like you can use that to, to log in with the YubiKey. Um, but of course, when something is more of an app and very mobile based, then I can see where that doesn't exactly make sense because you have to very, you have to have very specific type of device to be able to do that. Though with USB-C, you think we'd kind of get there. But regardless of all that, OTP authentication is set up on Instagram. So I know a lot of you follow me on Instagram. Um, there's at least two, 3,000 of you that do, uh, even though my Instagram is not really sovereign tech exactly. Uh, but I know a lot of you do. And so I'm letting you know, get this set up now. Okay. T- take that very seriously. In fact, I have some friends. I have some good friends. Uh, one gal in particular I can think of who she, she, has, the, she has a username that everybody wants. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but that like, in fact, she gets warnings from Instagram, all, you know, Russian hackers or whatever are coming after your account, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And I mean, that's the thing is that if you've got a really hot username on there, you really want to have this set up. You want this set up on all of your accounts. But anyway, now you know that it's available there on Instagram. And unfortunately, a lot of these companies, when they even implement these, like Twitter implemented of all, which, well, for fuck's sake, of course they could, right? They should, right? In fact, they even have, uh, now they're, I think they already have WebAuth, or at least YubiKey set up where you can use that. But Twitter, this was back, what, September of last year? 
of 2017 when they finally announced that they rolled that out. Um, but they did. That's the thing. They actually didn't announce it at all. It, it took, uh, I think it was like Ars Technica or one of those sites to finally look around and see, oh, hey, shit, they're allowing for OTP, uh, auth- you know, authentication. We, we need to get on this. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is a lot of times these companies don't announce it at all. What the fuck? But anyway, go do it if you haven't already. Okay, let's move on from that. Uh, let's you know, let's talk about a company that's just as egregious as Facebook. Uh, that being Microsoft. Ooh, uh, <laughs> we finally have the name, and oh wow, this this is news. <laughs> uh, you know, if they stick with this kind of nomenclature, I don't think it's exactly going to be news going forward. But uh, this is news. We have the name and kind of the release date of the next version of Windows 10 to come out, um, and of course that's version 1809, which really I think that should just be the name of it. You know, because most people don't pay attention to the fucking name of Windows 10 anyway. Like a lot of people don't say, well, I've got creator. I mean, some people say, I guess that, oh, I've got creators update or I have the April 2018 update, you know, and now we know that the name of the of the upcoming update, which is originally Redstone 5. That's kind of the internal name for it uh, is Windows 10 October 2018 update. That is a fucking mouthful. Why not just say Windows 10 1809? Just call it 1809. <laughs> I, I mean, I think for the people that will actually give a rat's ass about, you know, like the name of Windows 10, that that's perfectly fine for them. They're they're at that technical level. And for the people that don't care, they don't care. They're just letting Windows 10 do its auto update. And it's part of why I argue that it's actually, I mean, it's not in a perfect world. Auto update is not okay because that makes things, that raises security, security concerns as far as uh, trackability and, uh, you know, like individual targeting and so on. Um, but in the world that we live in, where most people don't even bother to, you know, have no clue about what even firmware is and all this other stuff. Um, yeah, let's auto up- update it. That way we can at least hopefully try and mitigate the problems where people just never do update shit. And then we run into problems with botnets and a whole slew of other exploits that end up, you know, fucking everybody else uh, inadvertently. So, you know, th- that's kind of why I argue for that is because most people just don't give a shit. So you better force them to update, <laughs> even though I know that that's not a great like there's there are genuine legit concerns around that um, until we educate people you know about constantly updating their software and so on um, it's you know I mean that that's just kind of the way that it that it's going to go and that I recommend it going because otherwise you know we're really really screwed um, again you know putting in a lot of these security best practices constantly updating you know your OS and your apps and software and all that I mean all the different things we talk about on Sovereign Tech the more secure you are, the more secure everybody is. It really, really, I mean, it's not, you know, it's what, what's the term Kerzigzag calls it egoistic altruism. You know, I hate the word altruism, but I get it. Egoistic altruism, meaning that like, you know, kind of helping everybody else, helping out everybody else as far as, or like everybody in this case with tech, everybody being updated actually ends up helping everybody else. So you doing that for yourself to have your own shit secure effectively makes everyone else secure as well and that's why it's so important to do that but uh anyway we don't know the date of when this is because when it comes out uh, this is not a major revision uh to windows 10 a lot of it is security fixes and so on um so you're going to want to update uh to it you know when when it gets around to you if you want to hold off a little bit until it like officially gets pushed out to your exact computer then, you know, feel free to do that. But you are going to want to update to it, certainly, uh, because of the, you know, a lot of the the bug fixes and everything happening under the hood um, with it. But it is going to come out on October. That's all we know. We don't know what date. I mean, and considering the fucking fiasco that we had with the April 2018 update of Windows 10, where 
oh yeah, it'll be out on this date. Oh no, we're going to push it back. We're going to push it back. And the April update didn't actually come out until like mid May, <laughs> you know, for most people or even later. Uh, yeah, you, you know, we don't, we don't know the date and it's probably in Microsoft's best interest not to even put a date down. Um, because like they had to change, they completely changed the whole fucking image of windows 10. Um, you know, the image file, because there was a critical bug that was going to go out with the version of or with the April uh, 2018 update that they were going to initially push out there. And they just had to redo, pretty much redo the whole process. So, yeah, don't give a date, Microsoft. Just when it's ready, let us know. OK, let, let the Internet know. And then then people that want to jump on it right away can jump on it right away. Now, for a product that hopefully not a single person in my audience the thousands and thousands of you gives a rat shit about, but in, just in case one of you do, okay, I want to dissuade you here. Um, actually, I, you know, if, if you can't see why these are a bad idea, I mean, I, I don't know what I could say that could possibly help you out here. Um, but Snap, of course, Snap Inc., which used to be Snapchat, uh, they are releasing, they have finally, I mean, they announced it a few months ago, but they are finally releasing their second generation Spectacles. Uh, and they're going to run about $200. Um, these, their spectacles, if you remember the first version that came out, I think, what did those run, like $100 or something like that? Somewhere around that price range. But they looked ridiculous. They only took circular pictures. And the idea was is that they, they tethered to your phone, and they would allow for, um, you know, you could, you could share all these pictures and highlights and whatever on Snapchat. Now, I know some people give me shit for having an Instagram account. And I've said this time and time again, I promise you, I will never, ever, and I know you want to be careful when you say never, but I am so confident in saying this, okay? I'll shut down Sovereign Tech before I do this. I will never have a Snapchat account. I just think that's so fucking ridiculous. That is so anti-human <laughs> because the complete lack of attention, okay? I mean, that or of attention span. That 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 snap, it's not Snapchat anymore, that snap promotes is I mean, like, I don't want to live in that world. You know, I don't even want the app that has me live in that world. I'm just not fucking interested in it whatsoever. I have a big enough problem speaking on Instagram, I have a big enough problem with like Instagram stories and all these other features that they have. I oh you know, yo, doodle on this, put a little emoji here, and blah blah. I, what what are you people doing? <laughs> like, really? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing on Instagram? I just want to share some sexy art for fuck's sake. Okay. And I, and I get excited maybe when I get a little product or something, I want to, I want to, you know, let my nerdy friends know about it because nerds are what life is all about. But no, I have no interest in Snapchat, uh, but I can't believe they're still trying this shit out. In fact, I mean, Snapchat's like, I, I mean, or Snap, I don't think the company's going to last. Its stock prices are, are tanking. I mean, you know, it's like the Bismarck going down here. And now these apparently can do, I mean, they're, they're about twice as powerful as the previous uh, spectacles that Snap released. Um, they do look a little more normal. Like one is kind of a cat or butterfly design of sunglasses. The other looks like your basic, you know, future so bright, I got to wear shades kind of style. Uh, you know, like a pair of Ray-Bans or something. And, but they can do uh, 70 videos. And now also they can take pictures that are non-circular, which why the fuck not? That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but anyway, look, I mean, you're just, you're wearing a fucking camera on your head. J just keep that in perspective. It's the same reason that Google Glass was a bullshit idea on the consumer market. Like I said, Google Glass is a great idea in professional fields. Okay. But in the consumer market, it's just, uh, yeah, you're wearing a camera on your fucking head. <laughs> like, really, are you okay with this? And if you are, 
I want you to email me, okay? I want you to email me and give me the whole deal, and we will cover it in during an important messages segment on a Sovereign Tech Prime episode. You let me know why you think that that's such a wonderful idea in the consumer market. In professional fields, it's a totally different situation. Okay, I've made that point very clear. But these are just... You know, I mean, I, I think I'm probably going to say something. If I see somebody wearing these things, and it, does, it is a little tougher to see the camera on these, I'm probably going to walk up to the person and say, you know, how do you feel about this? You got a camera, you know, just looking at me, staring at me right now. I'll be, I, might, I might even get a little stone cold about it, you know. <laughs> just be, yeah, but look, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Seriously. I mean, because again, this is not like, okay, I pull out my smartphone. I want to take a little picture of this moment. I want to save this moment or something like that. Um, Like, you know, Stephanie and I going around Europe, whatever. And, uh, you know, I want to take a picture, you know, of the goddess doing her thing, you know, have the boss looking over a, a, you know, canal in Paris or something like that. Okay, sure. You want to capture that, that little moment and maybe share it with people or whatever. Like what, what kind of people? What are you doing with your life? Not even the person wearing spectacles to say nothing of how ass important they must think they are. Okay. For needing to at all times wear a pair of sunglasses that have a camera facing at all times, you know, ready to take a picture at any given moment because holy shit, my life is so goddamn interesting that the whole world's got to see it, baby. To say nothing of that person, but who the hell are you? that you what kind of time what are you doing with oh i'm gonna sound like the guy i'm gonna sound like the teacher from the twisted sister videos what do you want to do with your life no what are you doing with your life if you are wanting to pay that much attention to what somebody else is fucking doing let me tell you right now let the golden stallion make it very simple for you you are doing life wrong you understand Go out there, turn off the fucking screen in front of your face that is showing whatever the fuck these spectacles are seeing and fuck them and go live your own life. Go do your own thing. Go live, please. The culture of celebritydom that everybody's buying into today is driving me nuts. I cannot believe it's one thing. It's, I mean, yes, it's stupid of Snap to sell this shit. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing that there are people that would watch the crap that's going to get recorded by these and watch it that often to where it needs to be something that is strapped onto your fucking face. Get a hold of yourselves and give yourself a good shake. And say, what the hell am I doing with my life? Stallion, how do you make so much shit? How do you record so many podcasts? How do you write so many books? How do you create this? How do you make video games? How do you have the time? Because I'm not watching whatever the hell's coming on these goddamn spectacles. And I don't have a fucking Snapchat account. That's why I've got the time. So can you. Fucking A. I can't believe where we're going. Look at the world with your own two eyes, not with the screen in front of your face. There is a whole world out there, outside of your 5.5-inch screen. You hear me? A whole world. And you're missing it. And you sure as hell don't need to be seeing it through other people's eyes. Let's see it through your own and enjoy the memories. You don't have to take a fucking picture of everything. You know, it's funny. Like I said, I was, I was traveling through Europe the past couple weeks. 
went to a few different countries. Um, I mean, I've been there before and I've, I've been to some of these places before as well. So, you know, not like necessarily that it's new, but you got to understand when I was a younger man, fortunately, the Internet wasn't as pervasive as it was smartphones. I mean, I had a cell phone, but smartphones weren't weren't really a thing. I mean, the cell phone was very basic. It didn't even have, I don't even think I had a camera on it. I remember it was an old uh, Sprint phone. I forget now for the life of me, I can't remember the company that made it. But regardless, um, we're going to talk about some maybe classic phones here in a little bit on the show. Regardless of that. Um, I learned, fortunately, when I was traveling the world pretty good as a younger man, I learned that the touristy and most people kind of know this, but they still never implement it when they travel because maybe they feel they don't have enough time or what. I don't know. But I learned that the interesting parts of the rest of the world are not the touristy spots. When you go to Paris, fuck the Eiffel Tower. I mean, yeah, go ahead, see, see it once, five minutes, and then you go. Okay, but the postcard's just as good as the real thing, believe me. And, and, and don't touch it because people kiss it. And hell, they, actually, they hump it. And they, they rub, you know, all their, uh, uh, <laughs> they rub all their sex juice on it, baby. Woo! I mean, uh, I, whatever. People do what they do. You know, be a freak, go for it, okay? I'm just saying, don't touch it. So, I learned that, you know, you really want to take in the world and you want to see what other places are really like, you just walk the streets, the regular streets, you know, you don't, don't go to, I mean, yeah, it's nice to go to museums and do all that shit. Of course it is. Okay. But walk the streets, you know, when you're going to those museums, like you want to see, Oh, the great work by this artist and so on. And absolutely I do too. I mean, I am such a, people know me. I'm such a fan of art. Okay. And classic art and all that. Yeah. Go see that. But how about you walk the streets that the artists walked? That way you can feel what they felt. You can get a sense of what they were feeling of what they were doing. Okay, but you've got to, you know, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, is that most of the people, like when I was traveling the past couple of weeks, everybody's like, oh, yeah, let's go see this. Let's go. I mean, all the touristy shit. It's like, no, 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 no. I just want to like, let's just go outside. Let's let's walk out of the hotel and let's just start walking and let's go down some side streets and let's go down this. Don't worry. I'm a big guy. I'll take care of things. You know, let, I mean, let's let's just do that. And then you really get to experience another another city, another geographic area, and so on. And I feel that it's, it, I mean, that's the perfect, uh, you know, really analogy or allegory, yeah, for, for, for this. Don't, don't buy, don't experience the world through other people's eyes or what they tell you how you should experience it. Okay, I mean, it's nice if a friend gives you a recommendation, but we're not talking about friends here. I mean, this is just, these are people that are on a level of self-centeredness, and I'm not saying that in a good way. Okay, being self-interested is a good thing. Being self-centered, that's another thing. Okay, this is a level of self-centeredness with these fucking spectacles that, you know, I, I think was, was only the purview of emperors and kings and tyrants and asshats throughout history. It's at that level, you know? <laughs> I mean... You got people with with levels of self-importance that could split atoms. You hear me? Don't feed them. Don't feed them the fucking attention, you know, and, and just see the world through your own eyes. Okay, that's that's the moral of the story here. Now, let's get on to a, uh, one last bit. And we won't spend a whole ton of time on this, uh, but this is something to, to look forward to. Um, and you can actually download the alpha of it now, uh, but the Tor browser. So on Android, okay, uh, the Tor project, the official Tor project is releasing an official 
Tor browser for Android and Android only. This is not coming out for iOS. Um, it is in the Play Store already. You can download the alpha. And by early 2019, that's the projection right now. Um, though in the software world, sometimes things get delayed. And hey, you know, I've become much more understanding over the years um, as I have tried to release my own projects, you know, how that ends up working. Regardless, uh, in early 2019, this will officially replace Orfox um, and Orbot, I think, which is, well, it'll certainly replace Orfox. Orbot's use is kind of up in the air. I mean, the nice thing about Orbot is that it, it routes all of your phone's traffic through Tor if you set it up right. But uh, the Tor browser will definitely, you know, will will automatically connect to Tor, kind of like how Briar uh, like the Briar messaging app, which I highly recommend, um, you know, uses Tor, you know, forwards everything through Tor automatically, whether you have Orbot activated, installed or not. Um, so the Tor browser will be able to do that. It's not fully functioning. The alpha is pretty rough, but you can download it now if you want to. Um, and I mean, one thing, even if you're not going to use it, one of the reasons I like to install an alpha um, especially on, on these kinds of apps is that way I know when they get updated and when they are officially released, just having it there, even if I don't use it, having it installed on my phone, if I have the space, um, is a good thing to do that way, you know, when it is actually officially ready or when it's more at the point where, where it's, uh, you know, consumer set. Okay. And so, yeah, so this will replace Orfox, which is fine. I mean, the guardian project and also the guardian project tweeted out about it, who they were originally working on Orfox and Orbot and well, actually Tor project i think was still officially working on orbot but there's there's a a relationship between the guardian project and the tor project and the guardian project says this is totally great i mean no problem you know the guardian project's working on, on their you know on other things as well so uh i i think this is great um i don't know about f droid and if they're going to make the repositories available more publicly um we you know that's something i'll be keeping an eye on but right now the alpha is available in the google play store if you want to try it out but for right now mainly you're going to still want to use or Fox regardless. Um, but there's a link in the show notes. That's all about that. If you want to want to jump on it. Um, I mean, th there's nothing, you know, there's no problem here. There's, there's, I mean, this is fine and dandy. If you don't have to activate, uh, Orbot, you know, I mean, I think they should leave Orbot available. That way you can, uh, you know, you can push other apps like Twitter and whatever else through Tor if you want to. Um, of course with the PWA, if, the so the the Tor browser for Android is going to be based on I think it's based on Firefox 60 if I remember correctly. Uh, so and and of course I mean that's I mean the Tor browser on any other platform is always based on an older version of Firefox, which is fine. Um, that I think that can handle progressive web apps, and so you should be able like I guess you could just use Twitter as a PWA which Twitter's talking about now, like literally replacing their desktop site with the PWA, and you're just going to use the, the progressive web app on whatever platform you happen to be on, desktop or mobile or otherwise, um, which is interesting if things go that route, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, because, you know, not having an actual desktop site, I mean, I imagine they have metrics of how many people use the desktop site. Uh, I don't know, that, that that's that's pretty weird stuff. But anyway, regardless, you know, I, I don't have any take on that, whether they're actually going to run with it and, and what that all will look like. I mean, we know what the progressive web app looks like and it works very well, but regardless of that, um, I would leave Orbot available and I would continue to develop it, but you know, just having it where you just open up the Tor browser and Tor's routing through it and everything. And it, you know, maybe it's kind of sandboxed, beautiful, great, wonderful, which I mean, Firefox by design is already very much sandboxed using its own security certificates and otherwise from the rest of 
you know, from the rest of the Android operating system. Um, so I, I think that that's wonderful. Again, no complaints about this. Uh, you know, there's there's no, oh, well, but what about all the great work that's been done on Orfox? No, you don't understand. Guardian Project's like, yeah, fine, please, Tor Project, you know, go ahead and develop the app so we can work on, or, you know, the browser so we can work on other things. It's no problem. So keep an eye out for that. Again, early 2019 is the expected, uh, or is the projected launch for the full-on consumer-ready app, but you can get the alpha now. Anyway, whew, uh, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech, and we'll get into our main story for this week, and we're going to talk some smartphones. We'll be right back. Stone Age wasn't enough for you. Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. Time has come and gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Story of the week. Woo, you know, I get a lot of people that ask me about that music. Like, that is so awesome. Um, and that's actually from an album called Hexadecimal Genome by an old friend of mine, Bit Shifter. Uh, and if you want to find his stuff, um, he does all that on a Game Boy. It's it's so badass. Uh, I just love Bit. I mean, it, man. <laughs> anyway, so if you're wondering where that's from, and I used to use that, and a lot of the music that you've been hearing in recent episodes um, is classic, classic Sovereign Tech. If you go back to like the first 50 episodes or so, you'll hear a lot of this music. And uh, I've reintroduced it because I like to shake up the, the podcast every once in a while. But, you know, real quick, before we get into our main story here, we are on episode 294. And that means episode 300 is coming up fast and hot. And can the Golden Stallion make something special for episode 300? I think after episode 200, you just pretty much wait until episode 500. But maybe we'll make something special. I don't want to make any promises. But, whoo, could things get interesting? Anyway, all right, let's uh, let's get into our main story of the week. And this is actually coming from The Register, uh, which, <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, so I had a burner phone with me in Europe. I'm going to tell you more about that. Um, when we get into the climax, but I had a, you know, a burner phone or as a, a smart, a, a smartphone that if something happened to it, I wouldn't give a shit. Okay. And, uh, you know, I got a, a SIM card, uh, a local SIM card. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, all of which is stuff that I'm actually going to include in the dark Android book, which is still coming. Um, just, you know, we decided to bake in a lot more now, um, because we've got the time and people are being patient with it. So thank you for that. Uh, but of course, if you want to get a book, well, you'll hear about that. You might hear about that later in the show. But if you want to get a book, Sovereign Universe Volume 1, it's out there. Link is in the show notes. Jump on it. You want some sexy short fiction? I got your hookup. All by me. Woo! Check it. Anyway, um, so, you know, I, I, got a, I got a SIM card and all that. And once you have a number, 
Uh, in this case, it was in Britain. Once you have a British phone number, I mean, you know, and, and the APN and everything updates automatically on your phone, um, you know, from what, say, initially was American, you, you know, suddenly Google starts feeding you all of these stories from, you know, British sources. But I'm a big fan of the register. Uh, like, I mean, there's there's so many great journalists over there. And they have no problem giving governments a hard time as well as the tech giants. So, you know, I, I really like it. So I'm happy to read from them. But uh, but like I said, some of the stuff I like I kept an eye on and, and, you know, came up while I was away. And well, this is one of the stories that ended up, ended up doing so. And it's from uh, September 6, 2018, by Andrew Orlowski. Uh, and it's Google's other phone platform turns up in post-apocalyptic mobe, which I'm guessing mobe is some kind of slang word for mobile. That's that's a new one for me. But uh, anyway, let me uh, let, let's read a bit of the story here. Then we're going to talk about it what do you mean by google's other phone platform like they have something other than android are we talking about fuchsia no it's not fuchsia Ooh, what is this well this is something that actually was we'll, we'll talk about it here but it was something that was announced back in like june but anyway we'll, we'll break that down in a minute here here's the story Hikers, bikers, and builders have contributed to an unlikely British success story. Founded in 2009, Bullet, and that's B-U-L-L-I-T-T, which uh, has just released the Cat B35, licensed the Cat brand from Caterpillar. Uh, Caterpillar, Stallion Breaking In, of course, you know, the construction company, make the big the big hose and all that stuff, right? <laughs> uh, and set about building extremely useful and clever phones for the rugged niche. With the global smartphone brands uh, lapsing, um, Samsung shunned the UK with a rugged Galaxy S8 last year. It has found unexpected success. The Bullet team does more than wrap some rubber around a cheap, generic dumb phone. The company's FLIR thermal imaging smartphone, the Cat S60, scooped up the Best Product Award at Mobile World Congress two years ago. Not all of its initi- initiatives have been such a, such a success, though. Uh, the Kodak-branded extra camera phone received lukewarm reviews. Smarter dumb Bullet's cat phones are typically usable with gloves and wet hands, so businesses or consumers engaged in any kind of outdoor activity will consider the premium worth paying. This week, it added something between a smartphone and a dumb phone by licensing Kai OS. That's K-A-I-O-S, uh, the software used in Nokia's revived banana phone. Uh, so Stallion breaking in here for a second. Now, if you remember the FLIR phone, this is the cat phone. Again, it's branded just like the, you know, the, constru- uh, you know, the company that makes a lot of, uh, you know, construction vehicles and equipment and all that. Um, I mean, just the name alone is worth it because you instantly think tough and rugged and so much, you know, I mean, as much as you would think of that from Tonka, right? <laughs> I mean, you certainly think about it with that. Uh, we did talk about the FLIR smartphone two years ago when it did come out because it had a thermal imaging camera built into it, uh, which was pretty unique stuff at a time when you had Project Tango and a lot of other interesting ideas being implemented into smartphones, some of which have become a thing, some of which have not. Um, You know, these FLIR thermal imaging uh, cameras are in use, but they certainly didn't become a standard by any means within uh, within smartphones, nor has really rugged been like a a standard. And and that's kind of sad. Like I loved... For years, I used a lot of uh, Kyocera phones, which you, most people think, well, Kyocera, what the fuck's that? Uh, Kyocera is another company that builds like waterproof, you know, like completely covered in sapphire phones and all this. I mean, you know, really, really rugged stuff. And I like that just because, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, I'm a pretty rugged guy. Like, I, mean, I you know, I. 
like I don't like for for an example I don't like wearing sandals I hate wearing sandals you know why because you never know when in life you need to suddenly break into a fast sprint and sandals are not going to allow for that I like to be I'm one of those guys that likes to have very few things but likes to be prepared and ready and you never know when you're going to have to jump into a waterfall or who knows what and god damn it your smartphone's dead when you do it you know, not that the phone I have right now is waterproof, uh, because that's also kind of going away. I mean, like, really, these rugged phones, I know Apple's doing it now, but a lot of, you know, it's, I mean, for a while, like, what is it, the Moto G series? Like, they're not, they're not rugged anymore. They're not waterproof anymore. That seems to have kind of fallen away, and that's sort of a shame. So I'm glad when a company still comes out with this stuff. Um, but there's a more interesting story to be told about this. But it is interesting that this has become very much a niche market when I think for a little while in smartphones, it was trying to become a thing. And it just didn't exactly take off. Of course, that's an issue in the smartphone industry in general, is they're trying to recapture the magic of say 2007 to i don't know 2013 2014 maybe where people were just dying to know what the next features for phones were so where now pretty much all phones are the same so you know differentiating yourself is certainly a you know worthwhile thing to do i think um but anyway, also, they mentioned Nokia's uh, the banana phone where they're re-releasing that classic styled phone that's been delayed like again and again. I'm intrigued to get one of these uh, because it has KaiOS and I want to test that out. What is KaiOS? Let's let's talk about that. Um, I'll read from the story itself, but then I want to break it down because you probably didn't know this was a thing. KaiOS, which is formerly Firefox OS, ooh, straddles that peculiar territory between a fully-fledged smartphone OS and a quote-unquote dumb single-tasking feature phone OS. But it meets modern requirements such as 4G LTE and voice over Wi-Fi and exchange email and allows phone makers to knock out fairly functional devices much more cheaply than a landfill Android. The Cat B35 is heat-resistant, should survive drops of, of up to 1.8 meters, uh, is IP68 certified and the 2300 milliampere battery apparently should last for 30 days of standby this is what i miss about feature phones right stallion breaking in the battery life just went for fucking ever <laughs> you know i mean you can buy smartphones now it is kind of becoming a thing where you can buy smartphones that can go a couple days on their battery right they'll have a 4000 milliampere you know or five or whatever uh that'll give you that kind of that kind of uh you know, long lasting battery, which is what people want, you know, but certainly if you, if you kind of dumb down the OS, you can get even better, including with what is otherwise a very standard and only lucky if it's a single day, uh, battery size for say an Android or uh, Apple phone, but, or, you know, iPhone, but, um, Anyway, let, let's read on a little bit. It also bears the fruit of Google's investment in the platform. Ooh, this is where it gets interesting. Google maps assistant, Google assistant, and YouTube are included, and Twitter and Facebook clients can be downloaded. It's price it's priced at uh, 109 euros, which, if I remember right, recently on my trip to Europe, I mean that puts it in like the 130 range, somewhere around there. The the, the dollar and the euro are actually pretty close right now. Um, the Bullet Group is also Bullet Group is also focusing on security conscious organizations. In June, Bullet signed up to the BlackBerry Secure Manufacturing Process Certification Scheme, which encompasses embedding keys in the device at manufacturing time and secure boot. So one would expect defense. Uh, procurement to be somewhere on the to-do list uh so anyway th this is this is an interesting move you know we don't get to really talk about phones mobile phones much anymore for the very obvious reasons that i described that you know they're not they're not doing they're all the same they're not necessarily doing anything interesting well this is something that is very interesting in fact i would love to have this phone um and the blackberry security process of course 
you know, are is everything in that does does everything that goes through the back uh, BlackBerry security manufacturing process have some kind of backdoor for government? Most likely, I I, I don't want to say that for certain, but it's a pretty damn good bet. But that's still you know better than the the average um, lack of security done on any hardware level for the average uh, mobile phone today. So I mean, this is a very interesting piece of kit here. Uh, that again, I would love to have my hands on. Unfortunately, now what, actually, what would be really nice is if KaiOS could run uh, Signal. If it could run Signal, I'd buy it just like that. Or even if it could do Telegram or something, I would be on top of this fucking phone. Or I would be on top of any phone running KaiOS. Now, KaiOS is really the the interesting thing to talk about here, because Google did back in June of this year, 2018. Google put in a 22 million dollar investment into the development of KaiOS, which is a fork. Or, I mean, it's not really a fork, it's more the continuation and rebranding of what originally was Firefox OS, which I was initially supportive of and I thought was a great idea. Believe me, I am more than happy that Firefox is concentrating, reconcentrating on just making a great web browser. And I think they have largely achieved that. Okay, and we've talked about that over the past, really since last November, um, when, you know, Firefox Quantum finally came out. So I'm glad that they're reconcentrating on that sort of thing and, and trying to get the open web and all this stuff, you, you know, making that their, their gig. Um, but I'm also pleased to see another operating system really entering the fray. Um, it is... Interesting to me that Google now, I mean, there's obvious reasons why Google would invest in KaiOS, which, like I said, it's not it's not like a full on, dare I say, smart operating system. It's not a you know, it's not a very extensible operating system like Android or iOS. OK, this is something that's very locked down. It's very much like WebOS. It's very much, you know, like your basic uh, uh, dumb phone. Right. Which means that it's not Android or iOS or Windows 10 or something like that. Now, why would Google invest in this and why would they, you know, you know, like what, what's the purpose here? Well, here's the thing is that if this again, the main point here is that with KaiOS, you can sell really cheap phones and manufacture really cheap phones because KaiOS can run on like 256 mega RAM. I mean, that's even lower than what we've talked about recently, which is Android Go. Right, which can do five can run on five hundred twelve mega RAM or up to one gig or you know there's devices that have two gig RAM on it. You know, getting smartphones into emerging markets is a big deal, and why? Because and it's the reason that I think that Google wanted to invest in this. Why they put twenty two million in, and why they're putting YouTube and Google Maps and and other apps on, there, including Assistant of all things. That blows my mind that Google Assistant is on there. And I think the reason simply is, is that they want the data from these emerging markets, from all the millions and billions of people that are in these emerging markets that might end up buying a KaiOS phone because it is so inexpensive. Okay, so if they can collect all that map data around the world, especially in parts that say isn't so easy for one of their Google Maps cars to get around on, well, fuck, of course they're going to invest in that. Um, it's not, this has nothing to do with them thinking that Android is going to fail by no fucking means. Or, you know, I mean, it has nothing to do with that. This is just making sure that they are still collecting data from every smartphone on the planet. It's the same reason that they make their apps available, you know, on, on iOS, right? I mean, really, it is. So this is, I mean, that KaiOS is something to look out for. Um, I am intrigued to get my hands on a phone that uses it. I might go for like the Nokia banana phone when it eventually like does come out uh, because I really did love that design back in the day. You know, it feels very matrixy, right? Um I could go for that or hell, I wouldn't mind having this cat phone if they made it available uh, in the States some way or if it long as long as it worked in the States, um, I'd be I'd be all over it. But 
I would like to see with KaiOS, you know, really, if if say Telegram or Signal or some of these, you know, some secure messaging apps took this operating system seriously, this could become a very, very interesting alternative um, to what you, you know, to, to choosing between Android and iOS. Uh, especially if you're getting some real hardware security baked into some of the devices that end up taking advantage of it. Uh, so this is an interesting move, something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. But, you know, to break up the monotony, not the monopoly, but I mean, it's a duopoly, but, you know, to break up the monotony of iOS and Android, fuck yeah, I'm all for that. You know, let's let's have a ton of operating systems for, uh, you know, for mobile phones. So KaiOS, this is the thing. And that cat phone, I got to admit, it's, I like that rugged, rugged to me, sexy very sexy so all right we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech keep your eye out for this stuff Hey, I want to tell you about a Sovereign Tech sponsor. Now, you may have known it as Zencash, but they have gone through a bit of a rebranding. And hey, I get it. The rebranding is Horizon. Again, not not like Horizon, Horizon. So H-O-R-I-Z-E-N. And you can find their website, horizon.global. And I mean, they're still, you know, the monetary, the, the cryptocurrency is still called Zencash and so on. But again, like we've always said, Zencash was originally an entire platform, and Horizon is putting that woo, on the horizon, baby. So you want to check it out, go to Horizon. Again, it's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N dot global, Horizon dot global, and I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Now, let's get back to the show. Woo. This Week in Blockchain. It is time for This Week in Blockchain, of course, a new segment um, that uh, that I've introduced where, you know, once a week I make sure that we get in some talk about blockchain technology, even though the story that I have this week might make you think, what the hell's the point? And in fact, the story that I have this week really points at, well, if this is true, if what I'm about to tell you and this is coming from somebody who is, for varying reasons, highly respected. I'm not going to say he isn't intelligent. I do think he's very intelligent. Uh, but someone who is highly respected in the crypto space. If his prediction and comments are true, then I think most blockchain, like real blockchain, uh, like totally blockchain-based podcasts and media are pretty much going to die. Like, the, the, you know, I mean, th- just think of the podcast and it, it's probably going to fall away. Um, and what the well, l- let's read it here. I'm re- actually reading from the website newsbtc.com. And the headline is Ethereum co-founder blockchain growth based on marketing is hitting a dead end. But what he's really saying here, and of course, we're t- Ethereum co-founder. We're talking about Vitalik Buterin. And what his claim is is that there will no longer be these 1,000x returns on cryptocurrency. Like, that's just not going to happen. Okay, so I want to break this story down, get into, you know, what he actually said. Now, people know, okay, like I said, Vitalik is genuinely a smart guy. I'm going to give him that credit. I am not a fan of Ethereum at all. Uh, I recently got a question uh, asked into the show for a Sovereign Tech Prime episode for actually to talk about during this week in blockchain to talk about why I am so uh, ardently anti-Ethereum, um, I will be doing that. And I, I actually, I want to make it a very, very nice case. I want to make it a very complete case. Uh, so I am compiling that and we will, I'd like to talk about it next week. Okay. And so if I, as long as everything goes according to plan, I will get into why I am so anti-Ethereum, uh, next week, because it's been a while since I've broken that down. Um, but anyway, I, th- 
I'm intrigued by this, but let, let's let's read the story here. So Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin is of the opinion that the cryptocurrency market is unlikely to experience an explosive bullish rally similar to the one seen in late 2017 ever again. The gold rush in the past and now the average uh, and now the average person is aware of blockchain uh, or yeah, the gold rush is in the past and now the average person is aware of blockchain and digital currencies, thus erasing the surprise element of last year. Um, Vitalik Buterin uh, was at an Ethereum and blockchain conference in Hong Kong when he told Bloomberg that opportunities for 1,000 times growth in the cryptocurrency market are no longer out there. The blockchain community is at a new level of growth, which is based on the adoption of real applications by real people instead of spreading the word to new enthusiasts willing to invest in digital assets. Quote, this is from Vitalik. The blockchain space is getting to the point where there's a ceiling in sight. If you talk to the average educated person at this point they probably have heard of blockchain at least once there isn't an opportunity for yet another 1000 times growth in anything in the space anymore um, end quote Buterin said as he explained that the blockchain's uh, blockchain community's marketing strategy throughout the first six or seven years is getting close to hitting a dead end um, now it is up to the blockchain ecosystem to strive to get people who are already interested in cryptocurrencies to be involved as consumers of blockchain products in real life. Quote, go from just people being interested in real applications or go from just people being interested in real applications of real economic activity. End quote, he said. Um, anyway, there's there's a little bit more words explaining more about Ethereum and so on. But I want to, you know, let's talk about this. OK, because I have. Well, first off, I've been in. You know, come 2019, I'll be able to say I've been in the blockchain space for 10 years, uh, which is very exciting to be able to say I've been in it for a decade. I've been in it for a very long from the beginning. OK, like I remember first hearing about it on the forums and everything. And, and holy shit, I was like, wow, this is this is really interesting stuff. Now, let me give you some harsh realities. OK, about blockchain news sources, including ones I think like news, BTC and so on. OK, and this comes from I'm just going to say it comes from personal experience. I'm not going to give you a bunch of details on that. Uh, unless it's quoting or making an inch, you know, quoting some kind of luminary in the crypto space, which, yes, Vitalik is considered that, um, you know, unless it's something like that or it's some kind of, you know, story, say, that has to do with Bitcoin or Zcash, something that's already well established to get a story placed about, you know, your new cryptocurrency or your new blockchain technology. That's just so goddamn exciting. You have to do what's called pay to play. OK. Again, I'm not going to go into the details how I know about this, but I, I am asking you to trust me as you often do. Um, you know, take your, your biggest, you, you think of it, Cointelegraph, whoever. I mean, just take your pick of the organization. And if you want to get mentioned there, you're going to hash out a few thousand dollars to get a story printed about you. And they'll make it a hell of a story. They'll make it, oh, the biggest, they'll give you all that custom artwork. They'll make it the, you know, they'll, they'll make you, they'll put your name up in lights. You'll be full marquee. Okay. But you're going to have to pay for it. Um, the almost the entirety, like I said, unless stories like this coming from some kind of luminary or from, again, Bitcoin or Ethereum, you know, or, or something that or like Zcash, you know, or so on, something that already is well has been well established for years. Um, unless it's that, like, understand and they don't have to and they won't tell you that it's a paid placement, you know, that like this story was paid for. But it is. Um, I don't trust. In fact, it's part of the reason I wanted to do this week in blockchain segment is because I don't get paid. I mean, yes, I have sponsors like Horizon that but I tell you it's a sponsor. You know, it's a sponsor. OK, like there's there's no there's no chicanery going on here. OK, um, I can break down what's actually going on, what's worthwhile talking about. And 
you know, I got to admit, I agree with Vitalik here that we, the days of where there's going to be, because yeah, I, I mean, most of the people that need to know or want to know, they know, you know, there's not that shock where, Ooh, what's this new blockchain thing? I'm going to toss all my money into it. That's not happening anymore. You know, all of this has matured and people are flipping out whenever, I mean, the amount of stories about just in the past week, oh, Bitcoin's down to a new, new low and blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, but in the past four hours, it's gone up 400 or, you know, I mean, get a hold of yourselves. <laughs> I have to keep saying that you, you people, these people are nuts. This is as much a tacit admission that, you know, your run of the mill ERC 20 token and whatever other bullshit, which is the thing that's holding up Ethereum of, of all ironies, uh, <laughs> you know, and all this, I mean, like, like it's all falling away, but it's also an admission that a lot of the news around the technology is just pure bullshit. You know, I mean, it really is. And this is something, honestly, what Vitalik is saying people need to be interested in is something that I've been saying for years on this show and why I stopped talking about blockchain, because nobody did care about real application and real use of these technologies. It was all just, you know, you know pixie dust and promises being put around. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to take on YouTube with blockchain. Oh, we're going to the fuck you are. <laughs> no, you're not. And that's, I mean, it's one of my problems with Ethereum is that everything that Ethereum said, you know, in their marketing that, that they were going to replace, they are inefficient at replacing or not everything, but most of the things that they want to replace, they're, they're slow. It's not going to work. And that I think is the other reality that's sinking in with all of this is that a lot of the applications that people thought they could use blockchain for people are finally figuring out very quickly Oh, no, blockchain doesn't work for that. Exactly. Blockchain is not the end all be all solution for fucking everything. Okay, it's just not. I have a very and it's my saying. I have a very old years old saying in the blockchain space, which is that, you know, well, here's here's one part of it, which is just because it was, you know, a bad idea without blockchain doesn't mean it's suddenly a good idea once you put it on blockchain. Okay, but the other part of that is, is that blockchain doesn't solve every problem. Blockchain does not is, you know, everything is not meant for blockchain. You do not want to blockchainize the world. And by fuck's sake, you do not want to do that, which is part of what, you know, another one of my problems with Ethereum. Like I said, hopefully next week I can get into a deeper dive um, on that part of things. But regardless, yeah, the space is it's it's almost like I said, it's almost 10 years. It's getting mature. It's realizing, oh, we're not meant to replace everything. Oh, you know, uh, well, we can't actually do that with blockchain. Oh, not. I mean, and it's not like, well, in time, we'll be able to No, you find out this doesn't work on blockchain. Right. <laughs> That's and I think all of that is actually like so much of that is really implied by Vitalik's statement that this 1000x thing isn't going to happen anymore. Um, I mean, he's basing it upon the fact that, well, nobody's surprised by this stuff anymore. I would base the same statement off of that, but also a lot more that people are realizing, oh, shit, this doesn't exactly work, which I mean, and this is scary because if blockchain blockchain technologies now a lot of implementations of blockchain technologies actually have nothing to do with an actual cryptocurrency like a token that has some kind of financial value it's using blockchain for its security and data storage capabilities and so on um, and that's where a lot of this is going okay and you can't really invest in that because it's being also for the fact that it's being done by tech giants that don't need your money right like uh you know ibm or amazon uh, and so on and i think honestly like when when all of these erc20 tokens that are, you know, crowdfunding all of these different ideas and companies and everything. When it comes time for the piper to get paid and people find out, oh, shit, actually, this 
this whole idea that released this token in the first place is vaporware doesn't exist can't exist won't exist when that finally hits um then there's really not going to be a you know ever in another 1000x token to come well i mean okay you don't want to say ever you know you want to be very careful to say never you know you don't want to say never when when you're really not that certain um something you know some dark horse could could end up coming in but when that finally hits i mean then this is really going to i mean it's going to be it's going to be funny if we find out that the real advantages and uses of blockchain don't end up actually having anything to do with money. I mean, it's always going to be there. You know, Bitcoin's not going anywhere. And is Bitcoin going to do another thousand X return? Yes, absolutely. But I'm, you know, there's not going to be this thing. I, I agree. I agree with Vitalik that there's not going to be this thing that you can invest in for pennies or less. Okay. Now, and that you're going to end up, that's going to end up going to like a thousand or so on. Now, I mean, on the flip side of this, is it possible that Vitalik's saying this, to kind of dissuade people from investing in things other than Ethereum. Yep, certainly. I, I, I totally think that that's, that's completely valid. Um, but at the same time, like he's really shooting himself in the foot as far as that goes, because he's also telling you that it's not really worthwhile to invest in the ERC-20 tokens, which, again, are the backbone of Ethereum's value right now, in my opinion, because so many people are, are, are building on top of that. Um, the blockchain space, I mean, I, I think you get you have a few players out there uh, you know, Zcash being one of them, certainly Bitcoin, of course, is one of them, um, you know, and, and maybe you could get into a couple, you know, a few others here and there. OK, that that I think will continue to hold value going into the future and will continue to actually be like a form of currency and thus cryptocurrency. All right. But, yeah, I buy into this prediction that those the days for, you know, just some random token coming out and going up a thousand X, those those days are gone. Those days aren't aren't coming forward uh, anymore. And I think that when people realize that over time, this whole industry around blockchain news and blockchain podcasts and so on. I mean, for Sovereign Tech, it's just one segment, you know, that I can bring in and take away as I see fit because, you know, I'm more or less a one person operation, you know, minus a couple, you know, the people that help out. Um you know, but for all these other places, like, I mean, they rely upon this. So, I mean, and maybe they'll just talk about Bitcoin forever and maybe, you know, maybe that's, that's how things will go. But, uh, but I think a lot of these technologies are going to completely fall away. And I mean, if they just want to talk about the constant disasters, they can do that, but then they're going to be talking themselves out of a job, you know? So this is, this has wide ranging ramifications, but I think, I do think Vitalik's right. Um, about this. And actually, I think Ethereum is going to prove the point that nothing is going to go. You're not going to get a 1000 X returns anymore when Ethereum finally crashes. Uh, you know, well, I mean, I, a lot of people are seeing that that Ethereum doesn't scale. So <laughs> it's really just a matter of time. But uh, anyway, all right, let's uh, we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. We'll, we'll shake things up. But interesting prediction and one that I agree with. But, you know, again, to be clear, a prediction we talked about in the past, I still buy into Tim Tim Draper's uh, prediction that it was by 2022 that Bitcoin will be worth 250000 a coin. Absolutely. So there's still some 1,000x returns, you know, to look forward to. It's just not in, you know, a lot of those little shit coins that you might be thinking about. Anyway, all right, I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo! From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. 
Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. Which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake 7 at Blake7.com. Important messages. It is time for important messages where people send in emails to me, messages into me, whatever method you happen to use. Some people send them on Twitter. Some people send them on Telegram. Some people send them on Signal. Some people send them via email, bbs at SovereignTech.com, or you can use the contact form at my website, zog.email. You'll see right at the top, it says contact us, and you can, you can message me anonymously through that if you want. Um, but anyway, we have a bit of a mystery on our hands this week uh, that somebody asked me about. And this was something that I did catch. Uh, so, you know, your question is uh, is fortuitous. But um, l- let me read it here. Hey, Stallion, not sure if you saw the story this week that they found a quote unquote leak aboard a Russian module of the International Space Station. I know you keep a sharp eye on space news, and I wondered if you had any unique insights on what happened there. They're saying a human could have done it from the outside? I thank you, as always, for your groundbreaking work and bleeding-edge thinking. So, well, thank you for that. Uh, that's very kind words at the end there. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about this. This is just a few days ago. That yeah, and and it's it's a mystery. <laughs> okay, so the International Space Station, of course, hovering 250 miles above the Earth, and yes, it is actually doing so because humans do actually go to space. We also landed on the Moon, um, and the Earth is round. I just want to make sure you know that that my uh, positions on all that are very clear because apparently in libertarianism you you have to differentiate. You know, you have to say that that you believe that. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> I guess I should also say there is an objective reality uh, for those that are wondering, because apparently some people think there isn't. Um, okay, so <laughs> regardless, uh, yeah, so this is pretty interesting. And honestly, the official story, dun, 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 never believe the official story. No, I'm kidding. Um, the official story is that we don't know. Uh, as in humanity, nobody in humanity knows what the hell happened um, with this module that was leaking. Um, right now, it appears. So the first first idea was that, oh, it's some kind of micro micrometeorite, which is a micrometeorite is this, you know, just little speck, a little rock, a pebble that is hurtling at incredible speeds towards something and it ends up tearing through or breaking through uh, and at the right speeds it certainly could break through something of course you know those kind of micrometeorites aren't really a problem on earth because the atmosphere kind of like we talked about in a recent episode of sovereign tech about uh, the breakthrough star shot um, probes that they're so small that just about any atmosphere that could handle an earth-like at- that that would have an earth-like troposphere ionosphere so on uh, would break that up instantly, you know, before it would hit the ground. Um, this is also true for micrometeorites, which is why they're not a problem. Now, in science fiction, of course, uh, take, for example, Star Trek, right? We're celebrating Star Trek Day today on Sovereign Tech. Um, 
you know, in science, in, in that, in Star Trek, you have the deflector dish, the main deflector dish on the front of the Enterprise. And, of course, in the original series, it literally looked like a satellite dish. Uh, later on, it would just look like this kind of blue glow, circular glow or oval or something um, at, at the front of the ship. And what that was doing is it was actually a low-level force field or shield that was keeping things like micrometeorites from busting through the hull as the Enterprise goes, you know, hurdles along at incredible speeds. Okay, so this is something people have known about for a good long while. Uh, but this is not the case uh, with this. Right now, the theory going is that, I mean, it, it gets even more mysterious, okay? Because, and, and what, what initially made it mysterious is like, wait, this happened from the, looks like it happened from the outside. Um, so if a human did it, and it looks like a human did it, like, it looks like there's a drill that went through. That's what they're saying. Uh, who was on the outside that did that? <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's what's making this so wild. So, but now, kind of the running theory is is that, and, and you know, Ross Cosmos, you know, kind of the Russian version of NASA, uh, this is a module that came up from, Soya, from a Soyuz launch. They're, they're saying that it could have been uh, a fuck-up. Somebody could have punctured uh, the hull of this of this module on Earth while it was still on Earth, and then they did some kind of temporary patching, and nobody knew about it. But then when they launched it, you know, and and, and attached it to the ISS, the temporary fix for the fuck up that was done on Earth is you know uh, came loose effectively because you know how did they solve it now uh you know when it's in space and they just discovered it well they did a temporary fix again uh so that's that's kind of the running theory of what happened here um so do i have a hot take on this no i don't think that there's some like <laughs> you know there's some aliens or some uh you know secret human organization out there that uh that busted a hole into the iss um and nobody knew about it i don't think that for a second um it does seem to be pretty clear that it's not a micrometeorite um do i have any other theories as to what happened no not really i i mean you know granted i'm just a person i mean i appreciate you asking um and i think it's important to bring up because a lot of people are like hey wait a minute you, you got these guys who um you know maybe they think the earth is round uh, but maybe they, you know, and maybe they don't think that maybe they think we actually landed on the moon, but they think that there's aliens out there and all this other wild shit and there's UFOs and blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, before you go blaming UFOs. No, 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 no. It's entirely possible that the way that they fixed it now was the same thing that got done on Earth because somebody accidentally drilled through it there and it didn't pass through quality control. Now, you know, you could say, wow, you know, shouldn't QC be on top of things on Earth considering you know, the importance of this, that this is something people could have died over, etc. blah, blah, blah. No one was in danger at any given point with this. But that said, I mean, we do know, sadly, because there's been tragic incidences, Columbia, Challenger, and so on. We do know that, yeah, I mean, these organizations miss things. They really do miss things and they miss things that can be lethal and that can be, you know, literally catastrophic uh, for for the mission and so on. Um, so, no, that's not it's not unheard of, because I think that's what that's another claim that a lot of people are wanting to make. It's like, no, 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 it was fucking aliens because, you know, they wouldn't, you know, Ross Cosmos or NASA or whoever, they wouldn't, uh, you know, allow this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of patchwork to be done on Earth. They wouldn't allow this kind of fuck up. They have people, they have experts that are looking at all this shit all the time. They wouldn't have. But no, we know 
that these kind of things do happen, that quality control. And I mean, it's, it's almost insulting to just call it quality control, but that's the, you know, that's really the technical term for a lot of this. Um, you know, that, yeah, engineers will miss things, you know, and, and we've lost shuttles over it and we've lost lives over it. Uh, you know, and I mean, and more, you know, not just those shuttles. So yeah, I, I don't think there's anything, I mean, yes, there's a mystery here. Uh, it, 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 we do need to figure out what exactly happened, but I also don't think it's a mystery that points at anything too odd. I think there in this, in this case, I think there's very simple explanations, uh, for what went on here, but boy, it makes for hell, it makes for some pretty great headlines. You know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, there's a leak outside of the, the, the ISS and a human did it, but we don't know who that was. <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, and there's what, there's two Americans, two Russians and a German, I think up there right now in the ISS. And, you know, we know it wasn't any of them. Um, no, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think it was aliens. I don't think it was another human or anything like that. I, I, Personally, I think it's, yeah, somebody did did an ugly patch. Somebody fucked up on Earth, did an ugly patch job, and then they launched it anyway. Um, that's my personal opinion on the matter. So a mystery, not too much of a mystery, but who knows? Maybe we'll find out more in the future because Roscosmos is presently looking pretty deep into it. Uh, because I mean, and I can't imagine, like, what must it be like to be one of the astronauts on the ISS and you find out about this? And because, you know, you're going instantaneously like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the hell happened here? Um, and, you know, but one thing that's very interesting is, and that I think is an important takeaway with from this, okay, is how quickly the response is to this. Like, I mean, they are moving fast. And if anything is remarkable and miraculous about this, it is that, is how quickly America and Russia are working together on getting this shit fixed. Okay, and on figuring out what the fuck happened. That's happening very, very fast. And it also, it hap- I mean, it's happening on Earth. And as much, it's more so happening where it's getting fixed very quickly on the International Space Station by, you know, again, uh, really three different countries there, um, which one could argue three countries that their governments uh, may not be the biggest fans of each other. That includes Germany. And I think the, the beautiful part of the story here to take in is that it is amazing that when we do go into space and we really are relying upon each other, just how quickly all of our differences fall away and all of the bullshit politics happening on this little blue marble are completely forgotten and ignored. And all that we care about is that the other person and that we're all okay. And that we're all okay on what, on this little, you know, space habitat that we happen to be living in. And I think that this points at the importance of getting to space because when we finally do get there and we, we take on that new frontier, we can finally accept new ideas and we can let a lot of old ideas, perhaps like governments, completely fall away. Uh, and so there is, you know, as fun as the mystery is of this and well, I mean, at first shocking and, and I, like I said, could, I imagine could be terrifying for the astronauts that are up there. At the same time, there's a beautiful message here of just how quickly we can work together, set aside every single difference, no matter how heated the political horseshit is that's going on on planet earth. Um, when we're in space, you know, we got to take care of each other. I wish we could have that attitude here, but it's beautiful to at least see it in the stars. And I hope to see it more in the future. So anyway, we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Maybe we'll get to, well, we're going to get into some hack sec and, but then maybe we can have some fun. So I'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. Hey, 
Hey, I know what you're thinking. Wow, this is a great fucking show. And you know what? I agree with you. And I'm not just saying it because I'm the host, Woo! but I am the podcast champion, baby. And let me tell you, if you want to help out the podcast champion, you want to help out the golden stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R radio star, and you want to make sovereign tech an even bigger show. Here's how you do it. And don't worry, it's not for free and you get something out of it. You go to Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash sovereign tech, S-O-V-R-Y-N tech, patreon.com slash sovereign tech, become a sovereign tech patron and you will get access to literally thousands of hours of bonus content. There's new content every week. You get to be in the live Q&A hangouts that we do every month. You get to access to the Wednesday Q&A. Do you like that important messages segment? We do one every single week and it goes a good hour strong, if not longer, if needed, depending on how many questions there are. That's only for patrons. And all you got to do is at least a dollar a month. Some do significantly more and I'm honored by that, but become a patron, support the show, help it grow. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And I thank you to all the patrons already out there and all the ones to come. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Hack Sick. It is time for Hack Sec, where we talk issues of hacking and security. Of course, on this show, hackers are heroes. Uh, and, you know, the people that, that, that usually get called hackers that are doing some kind of malicious act, generally we just call them bad actors um, or we come up with other terms for that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> someone emailed me and said, it's like, should we call them malackers, <laughs> like malicious hackers? Uh, and, you know, so much of that can be subjective at times. But this is one where it's not. Uh, this is actually coming from Sophos, uh, which is, I think, a fine company that does some fine security research. And uh, and if you need security software, um, you know, certainly the one that I can recommend. Uh, but they they have a blog called Naked Security, which I think is uh, w- I, I read from it often, actually, pretty much, you know, every week. Uh, not, not on this show, but, you know, personally. So uh, here it is. This is from September 6, 2018. Mobile spyware maker MSpy, and it's just the letter M and then spy, leaks millions of records again. And let's, uh, from Lisa Voss, let's read the story here. It's one thing to slip spyware onto somebody's phone so you can surreptitiously intercept text messages, call logs, emails, location tracking, calendar information, record conversations. That kind of privacy spurning stuff. It's another thing entirely to be the company that makes and markets the software and the coup de gras uh, to suffer a breach that exposes not only the private data of the buggers, but that of the bug ease twice in three years. What are we talking about here? Stan's going to tell you all about it. Yes, we're talking about MSpy, the quote, ultimate tracking software, end quote, runs on mobile phones and tablets, including iPhones and Androids. Uh, the company claims that it helps more than a million paying customers spy on the mobile devices of their kids and partners. In parens here, is it illegal? Well, mumble, mumble, totally legal if you tell the target, which, of course, you'll do, right? Well, anyway, it's your problem. Uh, (laughs) And parens. The most recent breach, first reported by security journalist Brian Krebs on Tuesday, involves what he says is millions of sensitive records published online, quote, including passwords, call logs, text messages, contacts, notes, and location data secretly collected from phones running the stealthy spyware, end quote. The open database was discovered by security researcher uh, Natish Shah. 
It's since been taken offline, but while it was flapping open, anyone could query what Krebs said were, quote, up-to-the-minute mSpy records for both customer transactions at mSpy's site and for mobile phone data collected by uh, mSpy software, end quote, all accessible without requiring user authentication. That includes usernames, passwords, and the private encryption keys of each mSpy customer who logged into the mSpy site or purchased an mSpy license over the past six months. Shah said that with the private key, anyone could track and view details of a mobile device running the software. But wait, there's more. Krebs reports, quote, in addition, the database included the Apple iCloud username and authentication token of mobile devices running mSpy and what appear to be references to iCloud backup files. Anyone who stumbled upon this database also would have been able to browse the WhatsApp and Facebook messages uploaded from mobile devices equipped with mSpy. That means that someone could have spied on an indeterminate number of kids besides others under mSpy surveillance, given that that some parents install mSpy in order to keep track of their children. One of the testimonials from mSpy's site says this, quote, why did I decide to use mSpy? Simple. I am not going to sit and wait for something to happen. I read about Amanda Todd and other kids. Seriously, my son's safety costs way more than $30. End quote. Unfortunately, the blog goes on, unfortunately, when you collect this type of private information, you get a situation that's the opposite. And this is this is the exact point I would have made, but they're making it perfectly here at Sophos. You get a situation that's the opposite of keeping kids safe. You instead entrust a company with your child's details stored as they are in a database that's a plumb target for scumbags such as trolls, stalkers, or child predators. The last thing in the world that any parent would want is for such people to have access to their children's social media messages or account details, let alone be able to track their whereabouts and eavesdrop on their conversations. But that, unfortunately, is the risk you run when you install spyware. You run the risk that anybody in the wide web can spy on your lover or child. Shah said uh, he was ignored when he tried to report the breach to mSpy. Oh, so mSpy doesn't give a shit. Uh, Krebs had better luck after he contacted the company on August 30th. He got his reply from mSpy's chief security officer, who's obviously not doing his fucking job, uh, Stanley breaking in there, who identified himself only as Andrew. Well, at least he understands security because it's probably not his real name and he's only giving his first name even if it is. But, uh, you know, he wants all of your data, right? <laughs> Andrew wants everything about you and your lover and your child, but he can't even give you his fucking last name. Okay. Reading, what did Andrew have to say? If that's his real name. Quote, we have been working hard to secure our system from any possible leaks, attacks, and private information disclosure. All our customers' accounts are securely encrypted and the data is being wiped out once in a short period of time. Thanks to you, we have prevented this possible breach, and from what we could consider, the data you are talking about could be some amount of customers' emails and possibly some other data. However, we could only find that there were only a few points of access and activity with the data. Krebs notes that some of those points of access are his and Shaw's. They were both able to see their own activity on the site in real time via the exposed database. The first time that someone tore a hole in mSpy and published this database on the dark web was in 2015. At the time, for more than a week, mSpy denied the breach in spite of customers confirming that their information was involved. It finally acknowledged to the BBC that yes, the breach had occurred. It blamed blackmailers and said it was doubling up on security. Yet Krebs reports that more than two weeks after news of the first breach, breach broke, 
The company still hadn't disabled links to countless screenshots on its servers that were lifted from mobile devices running mSpy. Would you really trust this company enough to put its software on your loved one's phones? No, neither would neither would we. To protect someone against uh, doing it to you, make sure to secure your phone with a passcode that you don't share with anyone. It can help to prevent spyware like this from sneaking onto your phone. Uh, but anyway, so link is in the show notes if you want to read more about this. Um, but let's let's break this down. Uh, <laughs> I love how they just brought it up that this kind of these kinds of apps, which technically are spyware, even if it's something that say a parent and child like they're aware. I don't know how much consent is exactly ex- you know is exactly involved there, but that they're aware. Okay, I'm installing this. This is going to see everything you do on your phone. To say nothing of what that does to the psychology, you know, to the psyche of a child who's thinking that they're constantly being watched, right? Which, I mean, that's that's fucking terrifying in and of itself. But regardless of that, okay, even if, you know, I mean, it's spyware, even if it's, it's some kind of voluntary, shall we say, spyware. The beautiful thing here is that it brings up the point that no, because I, I get, even from libertarians, anarchists, a bunch of others, they tell me, oh, no, no, no. I willfully hand over this data. I willfully, you know, I voluntarily, I want to give them this. I want them to spy on my phone. I want my lover to know what I'm doing. Blah, 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 blah. You have no idea what you're doing. You are putting yourself and your entire family in danger. Yes, you are. I hate to go that route, but you know what? If the government will say, will someone please think of the children? I'll do it too. Will someone please think of the children? You're helicoptering over your kids, your constant spying on the shit that they're doing online, the fact that you're not demanding as a parent that, that everything be encrypted, that everything, although no, no, you, that you're not teaching your kid, hey, little Johnny, I'm going to trust you because you're a little human being. That's what you are. You're a child. You're just a little human being and deserve the same rights. I am going to trust you, okay? I want you to use Signal, little Johnny. Why? Because if you don't use Signal, if you don't encrypt the shit out of your tablet, out of your little Amazon Fire, or whatever the fuck, please don't buy them an Amazon Fire, okay? I don't care what kind of lifetime guarantee they give them. Uh, you know, your, your little, oh, I got you a dark Android tablet from the Golden Stallion himself. Here, little Johnny. Even though I can't see what's going on. And you could be, I don't know what you could be saying. You, you know, you, hell, you might even be watching porn. And look, I get it. I understand, you know, why I don't want your kids seeing that. Whatever. Okay, I, I get it. I'm not making an argument for that. But whatever. Whatever terrible thing that you could happen, I guarantee you that risk is far more palatable than the idea that some predator could come after your child. Because the, all of that, everything that they've been doing, all the text messaging, all this other bullshit has been going on and has been, you know, is plastered on the internet available for anybody to access. And I love, I love how, you know, MSpy, Andrew, if that's his real name, comes out at MSpy and says, well, there's only been a few points of access. You only need one to get all that data and then you can just share it everywhere else. What kind of consult is that? Well, I mean, what kind of comfort is that? It's not. All it takes is one for all of this to be available for all time. Can you voluntarily hand over your data? Yes. Should you? Fuck no. Absolutely not. You should encrypt the shit out of everything because if you don't, the unintended consequences, the things you don't expect, the leaks, the so on with the company that you were trusting are so dangerous. 
Oh, it's worth at least $30 a month. For what? For, for you know, malicious actors to get access to your data, to get access to your children, to get access to your lovers? I mean, you're pretty much paying them to come and get them. This is why everything, this is why you demand the highest security standards. This is why you don't just hand over your data. This is why you don't use Facebook. This is why you don't use Facebook Messenger. This is why you don't use that company or that company or that company. Because they don't care about you. You have to put, I mean, this is, look, I get it. They, I mean, I appreciate the abstract idea that these parents want their kids to be safe. And they think that if they can constantly spy on what their kids are doing, that that makes them safe. What? No. Or, or they want to keep an eye on their lovers. And to get nothing, I mean, and I've said this countless times, every time that one of like, uh, you know, that Hangouts, when Hangouts was more of a thing with Google, you know, until they figured out what the fuck they want to do as far as an actual messaging app. Okay, like how, oh, it can give, uh, you know, location data and all this stuff. And I said all the time, you know, can, can, can we have a decent affair again in life? <laughs> you know, you can't have a decent affair anymore. But regardless of that, I'm, I'm kind of joking. You're putting everybody at risk when you put spyware of any kind onto those devices. And spyware takes a lot of shapes and sizes, and this proves the point. Oh, you think this isn't spyware because it's to keep an eye on your kid, it's to protect them? No, it's still technically spyware. The Google Play Store is spyware. Facebook is spyware. The Google search engine is spyware. But it's so helpful. I know so much. Blah, blah, blah. But how much danger are you putting yourself in? People don't think about it this way because they're constantly being sold on the advantages and, but they're never being because of marketing. They're never being told the disadvantages. Well, I am here. The golden stallion is here to tell you the disadvantages that having all of this data about your loved ones puts them at as puts them at risk. It doesn't protect them. It puts them at risk. I dare say and I've said this for years, don't even like post pictures of your kids online. Use use encrypted apps and stuff for that. Take this shit seriously. Because this is what happens. And these companies, that response from Andrew, if that's his real fucking name at MSPY, was horrendous. That was not a response because a response <laughs> implies responsibility. And there's none. Do better, parents. You're not going to be able... Don't don't pull bullshit like the NSA does or the CIA on your kids and, and be constantly spying on them. Don't do that to your lovers, to, to adults even. Trust them and teach them how to encrypt shit and you encrypt shit. And you live with the idea... I mean, you're just going to have to because you did 20 years ago. You had no problem with this. Live with the uncertainty that you're not exactly sure what that person's doing, but you trust them because you love them. There's nothing. Holy shit. If somebody said to me, hey, I want to put M-Spy on. Look, and I, and I, like, honestly, I can be a very open guy. I really don't have anything to hide. Okay. Like, you know, I, I in fact, I, I've made it implicit. If you're wondering, I've made it implicit or explicit with Stephanie. I've said, if you ever want to look at my phone, you can. You know, like, I'll hand it right over to you and you can take a look. I'm not afraid of anything as far as that goes. Okay. But if somebody said to me, oh, you better, I want you to put M-Spy on there, otherwise I can't be in this relationship. See you the fuck later. Have a nice night, because you don't have a goddamn clue 
about what it means to be personally responsible in the digital age. Anyway, that's enough for this segment. I will be right back, and we'll we'll, we'll lighten things up a bit. We'll be right back with some more soccer time. most incredible television event ever as you join the crew of Battlestar Galactica. Right here, you creepy crawly. I have led the entire human race to ruin. The last of mankind fighting for life in a hostile galaxy. Most of us are dead. Alone, with only one hope, Battlestar Galactica and her crew. There is no other destination. Commander Adama, Captain Apollo, the intrepid Starbuck, and the dazzling Athena, searching for a new and peaceful world. We may as well live for today. We might not have many left. Let the attack begin. New age of high adventure, Battlestar Galactica. Game talk. Oh, the cracks in the surveillance society are starting to show. Because that is in microcosm what is going on with with the broader surveillance that the NSA, the CIA, GCHQ, and so on engages in. The FBI go down the fucking AT and T. All you know, all those government organizations. Um, I mean, it, it's microcosm of why it's a problem. It puts everybody at risk. If you don't secure your shit, encrypt your shit, everyone's at risk. So anyway, uh, whew, like I said, I want to lighten things up here. I really want to, believe me, I want to lighten things up here. So we're going to get into game talk, which is kind of, you know, I love leaving game talk in. I mean, sometimes there's serious subjects to talk about during game talk, uh, but usually it gives me a chance to ah, cool down, <laughs> you know, and take a, take a breather. Um, I was going to get into, I think I might save this for next week, but I was going to talk about how Microsoft is now effectively turning Xbox and I don't just mean like Xbox Gold, but they're turning Xboxes and buying an Xbox and so on into a subscription service. Kind of like how with Apple, you can pay for like a new iPhone. It's like 22 a month. And, you know, you get a new iPhone, you can re- return it and all that. They, they've turned they've turned the entire Xbox hardware ecosystem into a subscription service as well, uh, which I think is an interesting thing to look into. But we're going to talk about that more another time. Um, one of the a couple of the more interesting things that I wanted to get into this week. Uh, one of them was a new emulator, which there isn't a like fully production ready, consumer ready version of this. But it's called Wide NES. I thought this was a really cool thing. In fact, uh, my uh, Sovereign Tech co-host, Robin, who does the Star Wars update with me on Patreon, um, he mentioned it. He shared it on Patreon about Wide NES. Um, I haven't tested it out yet, but it's there. There's a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, I think that that's pretty interesting. What it does is is it adds on or it, it allows you to see further. And I could see with some NES games where this could be really advantageous. Uh, take, for example, oh, Super Mario Brothers. Because you have a wide screen and Mario Brothers, you know, you have a 16 by 9 screen on average with your TV or your laptop or something. And but but, you know, all these classic games are in four by three. Right. Like a, a classic, more squarish. I mean, still rectangle, but more squarish uh, television screen. This allows you to see further ahead. It like it expands the map uh, the visible map of what you see on a game. So you could see further ahead, say, in Mario Brothers and so on. Um, I mean, this is still being worked on, but I think that that's actually a really cool idea uh, and would shockingly, I think, make a lot of games a lot easier. Uh, but it, it's I, I mean, I would love to do an interview with the guy. Because that's some pretty impressive coding to do. I mean, you're really remapping the game in a very real way. 
So I can see why it's still in development. I mean, you know, that sort of thing is going to take time. Um, another interesting development that that came out is, and this is called, I'm going to get my hands on one of these because I think it only ends up costing about 60 bucks uh, American. And it's called Classic to Magic. Okay, and the number two. You can go to classic2magic.com. And apparently this is a device that you can connect to two of my favorite consoles, which are the uh, the NES Classic and the SNES Classic, okay, the SNES Classic, which are the two mini consoles that Nintendo released over the past couple of years. You can connect this to it through the USB, and it will allow you to play Super Nintendo games like the cartridges themselves, which I just got from uh, Retro, was it Retro 8-Bit, I think is the company. Um, I just got my my uh, copy of uh, R-Type 3 and Super R-Type that they put on one cartridge. They made, you know, totally new Super Nintendo cartridges. It was great. Um, and you could, you could plug it into the back of it, and that would allow you to, you know, plug in a Super Nintendo cartridge and play it through, effectively, the emulation uh, layer of the actual you know snes classic uh this is a i mean a really really cool idea um not to say it's as great as like the analog or the, the what is it, the super analog nt or whatever uh you know it's certainly not as cool as that but i mean this is pretty cool to just expand the abilities of these you know mini retro consoles that you already have um it will also it has like emulators built into it so i think you can pop an sd card on it and it'll play all kinds of games a lot of you know NES games and Super Nintendo games and so on. Um, it's not, I think it becomes available in America. Uh, well, maybe maybe it's available now, but I was thinking it was going to be the end of the month, end of September, that it was going to be available. But I put a link in the show notes for that. And I just, I think that's a really cool device. Um, but now, you know, the real thing I want to talk about this week is I think... I think something, you know, we're talking about Nintendo here pretty much the whole time, other than a little bit of blurb about Microsoft. Um, I think some very, very interesting things are are going on with, with Nintendo right now with their present hardware. Uh, in this case, with, of course, you know, really the hottest system in the world right now. And I mean, it really is. It's, I mean, it's topping, the games for it are topping so many lists, and the console itself is, is topping so many lists. Uh, the Nintendo Switch. Now... You know, again, everybody, ironically, so there's a lot of games, Nintendo's running both the, the 3DS and the Switch at the same time. Like, it's okay with both of those things, even though they're both, in a way, mobile platforms. Uh, surprisingly, especially considering how old the 3DS is, even the 3DS, uh, the new 3DS, right, which was the refresh done a couple, of, you know, a few years ago, um, they're still treating it like it's a premier platform, and they are releasing premier games for it. Uh, of course, we have, uh, you know, the the remastering of Luigi's Mansion, which is originally a GameCube title. That's coming out in middle of, of October, uh, and there's a lot more. I mean, they, they have no signs of canceling the 3DS line anytime uh, soon. But the, the irony with that is, is that that's actually pissed off a lot of really diehard Nintendo fans. Now, myself, I don't care. Like, I love the 3DS. I still think it's the best system out there. I'm not saying it's the hottest, it, but I still think it's the best system out there because of everything that's available on 3DS, as well as that it can play any Nintendo uh, DS, you know, the original DS, uh, DS games. 
uh, which is just a game library that is still unmatched. But it's pissing off a lot of the Nintendo faithful and I think maybe new blood into Nintendo because they want to play a lot of the classic Nintendo games and they want to play a lot of these, you know, or even like companies like Atlas, like they're releasing Etrian Odyssey. They're releasing a, a, a new Persona Q game for the 3DS still. Like I said, it's still a premier system. The 3DS is far from dead. I mean, these aren't, you know, <laughs> these aren't swan songs coming out. I mean, there's there's no end in sight of, of games coming out for the system, even though like a lot of the homebrew or not homebrew, but a lot of the indie games may not be coming out for it so much. But it's been pissing off a lot of Switch owners because they just want everything to come out on Switch. And I, you know, I mean, really, I think the solution is because I still want games to come out for the 3DS. Like recently you had Captain Toad Treasure Hunter. I think it was the game that was originally for Wii U and they came out with a new version that they released for Switch and 3DS. I think that's the real answer is just release it for both platforms, right? Which they've done at other points too, Hyrule Warriors and some other ones, you know, where that's kind of happened. Okay, you know, that way you please these people because I get their argument. But the interesting thing is the people that want all that stuff on Switch, they don't just want that. They don't just want the 3DS, the hot 3DS games that are only coming out for 3DS, you know, like Samus Returns and so on. They want everything on their Nintendo Switch. And I think this is what's very interesting. Okay, now a lot of people, I want to give you, well, here's the story, and I put a link in the show notes for it. But there is a uh, a company that uh, does a comic book subscription service, and it's called uh, Inky Pen, okay? Now, Inky Pen, it's not DC, it's not Marvel, um, you know, it's not like Comixology um, Unlimited, even that, uh, but they do offer varying series. I think they have like Dynamite and they have IDW, both of which are fine. They might have Valiant too. Uh, but certainly Dynamite and IDW, I think, are and Boom Studios, like those are really small time companies that are putting out the best comic books in the world anyway. So, you know, you're not really losing something if you don't get all the DC titles and Marvel titles on this. Uh, but anyway, they're going to offer their subscription service on the Nintendo Switch and allow you to read comic books on the Switch. Now, this is a great idea for a bunch of reasons. I mean, the Switch is effectively a tablet, and tablets are the best way to read digital comics, no doubt about it. Uh, so I think that that's great. You know, uh, you are going to pay a monthly fee. I think it's like eight bucks a month or something like that. Um, and it, it's, it's a pretty good variety. Like I said, if you get if you get Boom, Dynamite, and IDW, like that'd be enough for me. That that would really solve my comic book fix. Um, I don't know if they're going to because like Dynamite has uh, has Barbarella, which is a mature comic, like right on the cover. It tells you mature reading. Um, I don't know if they're going to block those from being on Switch. I think that would be kind of stupid if they do do that. But this is while it's interesting, the idea that you could read comic books on the Switch. The bigger story here is this is the first app like real app from a from a third party coming to the Nintendo Switch. And what's interesting about that is that I think this is going to do gangbusters because those people who, like I said, just want all that 3DS hotness also ported onto the Switch. They want they people seem to switch owners seem to want everything on the fucking Switch. And that's my point is that like they want to treat it like it's their fucking computer. You know, they want the Switch to be their device. And I think that that's really interesting. And now, if we want to go into some history, understand that Nintendo is not new to the idea of making an actual computer. I don't just mean a console. I mean a computer. Okay. You had, uh, you know, the Famicom disk system and so on. I mean, they have made, over the years, they had a full-on computer way back when. 
um, you know, during the days of the NES and before kind of the Super Nintendo, and they actually supported it for years beyond that, um, and where it would connect online and you could do multimedia games. There. I mean, it was really, really amazing stuff. Um, it's a fascinating history to look into with, with the Famicom disc, uh, Famicom disc system. I mean, it was only in Japan, more or less, but... It's interesting, you know, I mean, so they know how to make a computer and it kind of feels like we're getting back to that. And I would be intrigued if, you know, at some point there's going to be a refresh to the Nintendo Switch, right? Just like there was the new Nintendo 3DS, uh, just like how you have the PlayStation 4 Pro and you have Project Scorpio, right? Or whatever they ended up calling that for for Xbox and so on. Um, if Nintendo gets into where they come out with like a newer version of the Switch, I wouldn't be surprised if they added in a lot of things to where effectively the Switch becomes a portable computer. You know, it becomes a tablet computer at the very least. And computer in the very traditional sense where you could do just about anything on it. I mean, you know, you have Labo and so on. So they're definitely interested in unorthodox applications uh, for this technology. But yeah, I mean, th- as far as I can see, the excitement around, and I don't think this is actually going to launch until uh, November, that it'll actually be in the eShop, uh, you know, Inky Pen. But this is interesting, this attitude that really people, like, they just want to carry around their fucking Switch. In fact, there's a there's a picture. It's the most amazing thing where, like, this, this much older guy is sitting underneath a tree with his Nintendo Switch, and he's got his girlfriend next to him, you know, I mean, you know, good-looking gal, and, and just kind of, like, like staring at him, and he's carrying it around, like, in a laptop bag or whatever. I mean, this is, I mean, granted, that's marketing, and it's ridiculous, but this is really an attitude that people have about the Nintendo Switch. Um, I don't think we are seeing the end of just how much the Nintendo Switch is changing the gaming landscape, certainly the console landscape. I think this might be the system that finally kind of smooths the line, blend, or, you know, blur, I don't want to use the terms blur, but all right, blurs the lines between console and PC. Play, the PlayStation 3 tried to do that, right? Because remember, you could install Linux on the PlayStation 3. That was the thing for a while until they found out that's how you could play homebrew games on it and copies of games. And so Sony killed the feature. That's a whole long story. Thank you, George Hotz, whatever. But anyway, um, I think the Nintendo Switch might be the device that does that. And I wouldn't be surprised, and this is just a wild prediction on my part, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next five years you have people who don't have I mean maybe they'll still have a smartphone but they won't have a laptop they won't have a computer they won't have a TV they'll just have a Nintendo Switch and that that'll do everything word processing all of it I mean like you know you have people blogging on the Switch I I could totally totally see that Um, this is going to be November is going to be I mean the next fall for the Nintendo Switch is going to be interesting because we have the online service and so on uh, coming out for it but but Inky Pen is I'm curious what kind of money it's going to do because I think it's leading the way for Hmm. Maybe the Switch is, you know, the future of laptops in a very real way. Could be. Go Nintendo. I'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, you heard about it at the top of the show. I have a whole new book out. Well, not whole new. If you signed up for the Sovereign Tech newsletter at zog.email, again, that's zog.email, you would have read some of these stories in an earlier form. But this is the Sovereign Universe. You love the fictional aspects of Sovereign Tech, baby. This is your book, Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. You can find it on Amazon, and it's going to be in all other places very soon. But for right now, if you want to get on your Kindle, get the ebook version, you get it on Amazon. You just type in Sovereign Universe, or there's a link in the show notes for this episode 
episode and you can get your hands on it. It's only $2.99. It's a bunch of short stories, some of which are exclusive to this book. They will only ever come out for this book. They will never come out on Patreon. They will never come out on in the Sovereign Tech newsletter. They will only be in this book. And boy, can I tell you, the ladies love these stories, okay? A pure hotness. You know I do erotic science fiction like no other. You want to get on this Sovereign Universe. You can go to ZOG.email to find the link for the book. You can go to Amazon and just type in Sovereign Universe, S-O-V-R-Y-N, or you can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Thank you in advance. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Go get it. Go get the book. Sovereign Universe, Volume 1. It's fucking awesome. The Climax. It is time for The Climax, where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. It could be a topic, it could be a movie, TV show, comic book, hell, it could be anything. Um, I'm going to tell you about my recent little adventure uh, over the past couple weeks to Europe. Uh, that's what I'm going to break into here, so I don't know if that's a topic, but anyway, I think it has some, well, there are some certainly some tech angles to get into with it, among other things, uh, that you know, I think you might find interesting. Now, um, I went with Stephanie and she and I might talk about it maybe on the relationship rhombus show, which comes out on that's a Patreon only show where we field relationship questions uh, from Sovereign Tech patrons. Again, if you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, and then you can get access to that. Um, she we might talk about it more there and she might give her take on it. But uh, for now, you're going to get mine because I am going to come at it to some degree with a tech angle and, and a little bit more. So we ended up going for we spent a couple days in England and then we spent a couple days uh, actually ended up being really more of a week that we ended up spending in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, of all things. Uh, <laughs> and we did not do what usually Americans do when they go to Amsterdam. We didn't do any of that uh, <laughs> by, by choice. OK, that's not really my that's not my flavor. Um, and then we did a couple days in Paris, France, and then, uh, we did a couple more days in England and then we ended up uh, coming back, like I said, uh, you know, just really the day after this is getting recorded, um, not really feeling any jet lag. Uh, I've, like, as, like I said earlier, you know, I used to travel the world pretty good and I generally like, I've never really had a problem with jet lag. Uh, I mean, like when you first get back, like the first day that you get back, like if you get back late at night or something like that, it, you know, it can suck and you just need to get some sleep. But um, like, it's not something that affects me for the long term. Like some people are feeling jet lag for like a week after or something, you know, uh, that's never really been a been a problem for me. So anyway, when we got to when we ended up going to England and, you know, we did some fun stuff. We were visiting friends and whatever else, uh, you know, throughout Europe. That, that was kind of why it was a multi multi country affair there. We also, when we went to Paris, we saw uh, Janelle Monet, which uh, I'm a big fan of Janelle Monet. Uh, I think she's just this fantastic mixture. We saw her in concert, uh, you know, what is it, La, 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 La Villa or whatever it's called. Anyway, big venue. Um, I've been to Paris before, so, you know, that that wasn't like necessarily a new thing to me for me. But uh, but Janelle Monet, I think she's like this mixture and she's trying to be this. She's a re she's a mixture of. Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, and Prince kind of all rolled up into one. Uh, and I, I think she's fantastic. Uh, you know, I really, really enjoy her music and a lot of her message. And if you've never watched Dirty Computer, holy shit, do you have to see that? Um, but anyway, 
So when I got to England, first thing I said, I was like, okay, so I brought, you know, I brought a phone that, you know, I'd be willing to dispose of, right? I also brought a computer with me that I was willing to dispose of. Um, now, in general, whenever we go to England, I like to land in Gatwick and not at Heathrow. Okay, England has two, or you know, London really has you know two major um, airports, and I like to land in Gatwick because at Heathrow, they're very well known for wanting to look into your computer, look into your laptop, and they will ask you for your passwords if your hard drives are encrypted and so on. Uh, and I don't like to deal with that, so I generally like to land in the smaller of the two. Um, and that's something for you to consider if you decide to go traveling. Now, landing in Europe or landing, I'm sorry, landing in the UK is a great idea in the first place because it's cheap to get there from the East Coast of the United States. And from there, it's cheap to get anywhere in Europe. Okay, so that's kind of a, a route you want to take. It's it's a good idea to you know to to go that direction because otherwise, I mean, it can be cheap to like actually go to Iceland. There's some really interesting cheap flights for that. But you generally pick one of the two. I know there's another one that does like Ireland, but you know that's the UK. So more or less. So anyway, um, yeah, I landed there, and when I got there, I was like, okay, you know, I got this phone, you know, what I'll call a burner phone because you know it's disposable. Um, I'll you know, I'll get a, I'll get a SIM card there or whatever and deal with it. Now it wasn't actually the way I had it set up. It wasn't a dual SIM phone, even though that was an option. Um, but the, I use straight talk in the United States and that doesn't work globally anyway. So there's no point to having a dual SIM phone with that being a part of it. Um, but anyway, so I went to, there's a company called three, which is probably the most popular. It's kind of the T-Mobile of the UK. And I ended up getting a, a SIM card there. It was about 20 pounds for, uh, for 12 gigabytes for, thir- for a month. It would either go for 12 gig, and then I'd run out of data, or it would uh, go 30 days. And it gave me a phone number, the whole thing. The beautiful part of it was, was that Signal, which was based on my phone number, because Signal has, you know, years ago switched from using SMS to just using your data connection, um, you know, I could I could receive signal messages no problem, even though my SIM card that you know is is for my phone number in the U.S. That sign that is what how people connect with me on Signal, uh, even though that that wasn't what it was for, it still worked beautifully. So that was a really great advantage, you know, really to to be able to have access to that, um, and I didn't have to like put out a new signal number, and I could still use Signal while traveling. Um, obviously with things using other messaging services like Telegram and so on, that's not so much of a problem because those can also be based upon username and also use a data connection and, you know, don't, don't require the phone to, to really be a part of it. Um, an odd thing that happened is that because, you know, I couldn't receive SMS messages to my U S phone number. This is another knock really against, um, using SMS-based two-factor authentication, like we were talking about earlier that Instagram originally had, was that I couldn't get those codes, you know, while I was traveling abroad, um, unless I used a, you know, a service like T-Mobile or whatever that works globally, okay? So that's something to consider, too. That's a real problem with anything that attaches itself. I mean, in general, it'd be great if we could get away from attaching services and apps and whatnot to, you know, to, to you know, to cell phone numbers, you know, an SMS, uh, because again, if you do want to travel the world a bit that you can run into challenges like that. And it's actually something that held up the sovereign tech newsletter a bit because I couldn't get into my MailChimp account because that now it has, you know, OTP authentication and I've gotten all that switched over. Um, and so the September issue of the sovereign tech newsletter should be out, uh, or it should be out either at or around when you hear this. Um, 
you know, I mean, that that's a real thing to consider is that if you have any SMS based two factor authentication, if you start traveling the world, you might lose that. And it's a great I mean, it's so inexpensive, like 12 gig, you know, using that. And it, and the beautiful thing is, is that in or well, I don't like regulation, but bottom line being in the EU, like all, the, you know, your SIM card that works, even though Brexit's going on and whatever. But bottom line in Europe, that SIM card from Britain works pretty much everywhere. And it really did. And it instantaneously worked. And, you know, the APN automatically updated and everything. I didn't really have to do it. It was such a simple process to put that in. And like I said, signals still work beautifully with my U.S. phone number, even though I was using a European SIM card. Uh, you know, I had no issues with that. Uh, and that was that's the first time that that's really been that simple of a process. And for 20 pounds, I mean, that's cheap. Like, like you really, that, that is some inexpensive, you know, because I pay for, well, now, now it's unlimited, but I was paying for 12 gig a month with straight talk. That was around 50 bucks a month as to where with three, I mean, it's literally half that price and the service was fast. I mean, it was was great. I I don't know. I don't know how they get such inexpensive prices on their cell phone service, but it it is. I mean, that's really, really cheap there. So uh, anyway, um, that that was interesting as far as that goes. Uh, there are, you know, and then and also they offer free tethering with that plan. So I could just tether, you know, my laptop uh, to that. And again, I had, a, you know, what you could call a burner laptop that could get trashed if, if necessary. It was just a little two hundred dollar Asus job, uh, you know, Windows job that that you know, something happened to it, no skin off of my back. And I think it's a great idea to travel with these, to have these kinds of devices ready and travel with these kinds of devices if necessary. And look, I'm not telling you when you travel the world, you know, with these devices that, you know, you're going to have to rely on cloud services from Google, or you're going to have to rely on cloud services from Microsoft or whoever. Um, I could easily connect to my NAS uh, I had to set up a VPN. Oh man, this was fucking annoying. So like I said, I'm kind of giving you more of the tech angle. I could talk a little bit about like what Europe itself was like, but I think, I know I have a lot of European listeners and so I'd be telling you about your own places. But, um, anyway, Pandora, I, Pandora doesn't work seemingly anywhere in Europe. And that sucked because I've really come to rely on that for my music. Uh, I mean, there's just some great offerings on it. And, I had to keep activating my VPN, uh, you know, to be able to access that. Um, there were some some internet providers there that would block. I mean, like that. Even if I used the VPN, I don't know. They must have been putting some kind of, I don't know. There must have been some kind of cookie or something that when when I'd access when I go through their portal that to, that would keep even if I had a VPN going that would keep like Pandora and some other services from working on it. So anyway, that happened. Um, but by and large, I was able to access my NAS, uh, you know, my Synology NAS uh, very easily and could listen to my music and listen to, you know, or get access to files and everything. I mean, as long as you have a home base when you're traveling and you have like your own little server like a NAS, you know, like a Synology NAS or something like that. Uh, I mean, you, do, you don't have to rely on the big companies and, and you can get access to this stuff, uh, you know, really anywhere. And I mean, it was, you know, especially the the. <laughs> It would have been a challenge, you know, granted, I don't watch a lot of YouTube videos, but I did watch some. Um, it would have been a challenge, really, to use 12 gig inside of like a couple weeks. And if you're traveling, I mean, unless you're doing like like a digital nomad or permanent traveler setup or something like that, you know, for a couple weeks, I mean, 12 gigs a lot like you're, you really don't even need that much. I don't think I even used four 
You know, I didn't use like a quarter of that or, well, I guess that would, that'd be a, yeah, that'd be a third. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I, you know, I, I didn't, I barely used it. Um, and that was even hotspotting for a lot of people. Cause again, they offer free hotspot as to where usually here, you know, you get charged for it unless you have a lineage OS phone. Um, but I was hotspotting for everybody else there because I was getting such great coverage throughout the entire continent, um, you know, with, with that SIM card that I got. So, and a lot of this stuff I'm going to talk about in my dark Android book, you know, on, on how to go, you know, when you're being a world traveler, you know, and how to take advantage of this and how, how to, how to use all that. But I'm, you know, just sharing with you a little bit here. Um, but again, that, all that was, was very easy to just plug that in and go. And like I said, most things, and as long as I had the VPN or whatever, most, you know, most services were fine and I could still use some of my, you know, more American based services. Um, and accessing my NAS was, was never, it was never an issue. Uh, so that, you know, it just goes to prove how important it is to have your own cloud, your own cloud, not something that, you know, relies upon Google or that could potentially be cut off when you go to any of these countries. My, my NAS was never was never a problem. Accessing that was never cut off by by any of the Internet providers uh, or, or, you know, that or portals that I went through uh, while I was in Europe. So, I mean, that's the beauty of it is that your data becomes really agnostic uh, in that way when it's your own and you're not relying upon something that may or may not work in the country that you happen to be, uh, you know, visiting or residing in. Um, so that was, you know, the, the tech angle, that was great. I'll tell you. So, you know, hanging out in, in England, I mean, I've been to England a few times now, you know, and that was interesting, you know, hanging on the beaches and stuff like that. that. That was really nice. Not a whole lot to talk about there. Didn't really take in a lot of history as far as England this time. Uh, going to Amsterdam, took in a lot of art, went to the Banksy uh, exhibit there where they, they literally like cut out cause Banksy just, you know, like will spray paint on walls and you know, all, all whatever sidewalks and everything. They literally like would carve these things out. I mean, you had the originals right in front of you and uh, you know, I know some people have issues with Banksy, but I think overall the message is, is pretty powerful and, and I love art so much. Uh, and I'm a big fan of graffiti. I, I mean, I really, really am. Um, I think it beautifies the world. Uh, it was so nice to, I mean, it was so awesome to like really experience that and to take that in. And, and there were, there was so much art to take in, in Amsterdam. I love the concentration that, that, that city, which is a major city, but it doesn't, it doesn't exactly feel like one. Like it does and it doesn't like, it's so quiet there, um, that, that it's hard to believe that it is such a major city and such a popular tourist attraction. Uh, but to take it in, you know, and there's so much art there. It, it's just it's beautiful. And there's so much history, including a lot of occult history um, that I didn't exactly get to take in while I was there. Um, but I'd, I'd never been to Amsterdam before. And that was that that was. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just it's a stunning city. And, you know, took a, I took a boat ride through the canal system and everything, uh, you know, and you get to see so much through that. You got to see the Anne Frank house and so on. Like I said, though, you know, there's the touristy stuff. But what I really want to see was like, no, I want to I want to feel the city. I want to just walk around on the streets. Right. And I got to do quite a bit of that as well. Um, in fact, there's a whole monument there. Which you'd miss if you weren't looking for it. And that's why I say that, like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the more touristy stuff, you're really missing what's at the heart of the city. There is a well, I mean, it, it's a monument to homosexuality, uh, you know, in, in remembrance of people. And, and you know, just it, it's really it, it's something you, you got to check it out. I might share some pictures of it um, on Instagram uh, for people to see, because, I mean, I just think it's beautiful that there's this, you know, venerating, uh, you know, people that have been oppressed just because of their, you know, sexual proclivities and choices and or, you know, not not so much choices. <laughs> and it 
it, it's just it's amazing to see that and and they have like amazing pride parades and everything in Amsterdam. I I didn't get to see um, all of that. So I uh, got to see some other art from uh, M.C. Escher. Uh, there is the at, at the Hague uh, where they have the the originals there, the autographs, uh, which that was. I mean, Escher is such mind bending stuff, mathematical stuff. I mean, it, it's just it. It's so beautiful to look at. I could talk about that for an entire segment alone. Um, that was pretty amazing. But it really stood out for me again, just how, you know, this is such a tourist destination. It's such a major city again, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it, uh, but it, it's just so quiet there. And that's so weird compared to like any city you go to really in the United States. Hell, even, uh, you know, some smaller cities in New Hampshire, like are eons louder than, than Amsterdam feels at all. Like I said, I was, I was there for a good long while to, to really, to really experience it. And, and that was, that was really impressive. So, I mean, the concentration on art, on alternative living and lifestyles and all that. I mean, it was just, it, it really, it stuns you, uh, when, when you go there. Um, you know, I know most people want to go there to why, because, oh, all kinds of shit are legal and you, and you can, you know, smoke right in the middle of the city and nobody's going to bother you. Blah, great. You know, and really, I mean it great. I'm glad that that's possible. And because, you know, I, I'm totally for the decriminalization of any kind of drugs or alcohol or whatever. Okay. You know, enjoy that, go there, do that. But there's so much more to take in, uh, at Amsterdam, uh, in, in Amsterdam than that. And, and I really, I was actually, I'll, I'll admit it. I was kind of disappointed that, the bulk of the reason that people want to go there is to experience that and not experience the beauty of the city itself, you know, and to take in the, I mean, just the, the real, I mean, there is such a concentration on art there and so much more because, you know, the Dutch Republic, which Amsterdam was a major part of, um, you know, back, well, what, when it was a 1580, 1581, something like that when the Dutch Republic started, I mean, this was such a hub for the enlightenment and for, uh, well, like I said, also, honestly, the occult, which I think is really just science and, and just, you know, the enlightenment as well, part of the enlightenment as well. Um, and for so much culture and, and I mean, culture in the good way as in like, you know, art and, and poetry and, you know, and all these other things. Um, I don't mean ultra culture necessarily like in the oppressive way, which it often is. Um, you know, the lack of concentration and the fact that I never hear anybody talk about that when they go there or when they want to go there is really kind of depressing to me because I didn't get to experience anywhere near all of it. But what I did get to experience was breathtaking uh, to me. And I definitely want to go back again. I, but, you know, so what? Like, OK, yeah, you can do drugs. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't stop anybody in the U.S. anyway. So, like, wh what's the big deal about going there for that? There's so much more to take in because so much of human history happened right there you know, happen within the Netherlands and so on. Uh, I mean, the history of the Dutch Republic, you know, in fact, if you remember watching the classic Cosmos series of Carl Sagan, he's, he takes an entire episode talking about the Dutch Republic. Now, granted, he's also a guy that enjoyed marijuana very much. Uh, but regardless of that, um, I mean, you know, you just all the history and how so much science and art happened there. Um, why you wouldn't want to take that in. And yeah, you can do both, but I never hear anybody talking about, you know, the other part about taking in the history and the art that's there. Uh, it was really, it was really a privilege to, to be able to experience all of that. Cause there's so much of it there and you just walk around and you see it. Um, and that's just in Amsterdam to say nothing of any of the other cities that were a major part of that. I mean, or, you know, you could talk about the history of, um, Oh man. Yeah. The, the, there's so much to talk about there, but I want to move on from that. I don't want this episode to go too long. 
then you also, uh, you know, so then well, we went to Paris and we didn't really do any of the touristy stuff in Paris. And I thought that that was nice. It was great to just walk around the streets of Paris. And it's interesting when you just walk around the streets of Paris, you kind of see, yeah, you know, there's like a segment of Paris that's actually kind of romantic. Now, I've been to other French cities, uh, Lyon and so on, and I think they've always been, I've always felt that they're far more beautiful than Paris ever was. Uh, but when you're just walking kind of the, you know, sort of outside more of Paris, you really, that drives home that, <laughs> you know, like this whole like uh, love affair that actually America, well, much of the world has, you know, with Paris is really a very small segment of what Paris is. But there were some, certainly some amazing things to see in Paris as well. Uh, we went to the Gustav Klimt. Uh, you, you can't even call it a gallery. It was this amazing, you have to see this if you can go there. Um, it's officially called, and I might, and so I've been learning French for months, but uh, Atelier de Lum- Lumieres. And it is this room you walk into and there's just projectors everywhere. And there's just like this art that just gets projected all over the place. And there's this beautiful music. Sometimes it's opera. Sometimes it's uh, electronic or whatever. And and that they're putting on display. And you are like walking through the art itself. And it's just projected all over the place. And there's a bunch of you that get to go into the room. I think it was like, I don't know, 15 euros or something to go into it. And you can be in there for like an hour and you get to experience all these different, they're like short films, but they're completely immersive. They're completely surrounding you in this gigantic room. I mean, just like picture kind of like a roller skating rink, but without skates. And I mean, just the size of it to, to understand it. And it's everywhere. Uh, and, and it's, it's absolutely stunning to experience the art in that way. And to, with the music and so on. Um, I mean, you know, I've never really been on a quote unquote trip, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it, I imagine that this is somewhat what it must feel like to be tripping. <laughs> okay. Because it was like that. And it's just, it's breathtaking to experience that. I mean, it really is. And I know there's parts of America where there's a heavy concentration on art. But really, every time I go to Europe, it seems like I always end up going to some kind of exhibit. Uh, and, and, and it's always something just so powerful and unique that for some reason, I don't know. I never get to, I never really experienced that in America. And I know there's beautiful exhibits and galleries in America. I, I've been to them. Okay. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm just saying that there's always something that just blows my mind whenever, whenever I go there, uh, whenever I go, you know, overseas and see this stuff. And, and it was, yeah, I mean, that was really, really something I can't, I can't even put it into words. You have to, you know, it's like the matrix. You have to experience it for yourself. Uh, but the, the Gustav Klimt exhibit was, was, was just breathtaking. Um, so that was really something, like I said, the Janelle Monet concert, that was fantastic. Uh, that was, I mean, just a ton, a ton of fun. Um, her music, I mean, such a broad swath of music, but such a great, like positive sexual message, uh, that exists within it. And I thought that that was, that was really uh, a great time. And this whole time, you know, again, I mean, I think a lot of people might not, you know, would be worried, well, am I going to be able to connect to the internet or whatever? I mean, like I said, that SIM card was just working everywhere. <laughs> It was really, it was, it was no problem at all. Even though this is the thing that I realized when I was on this trip is that I really wish like as much as I was concerned about, okay, I'm bringing burner devices, you know, devices that can be thrown away if I'm crossing a border and they have some kind of a problem, I'll just be like, here, fucking have it. And I won't care. It really strikes you that when you're that concerned about it, not that I ran into any problems, but it makes me pine for the days when you didn't expect to bring a computer with you and you didn't expect to be like constant, to be able to be in constant contact with people. And I would have just much rather 
gone with gone on this trip with the people that really matter to me. And that way I, I didn't need like a smartphone to really communicate with them and, and just like not to even worry about a laptop or whatever and just pack super light. And, and I think I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech years ago. Like I would love to just kind of travel the world with, you know, a journal and like, you know, my Kindle e-reader, not a tablet, my e-reader. Okay. And, and that's it, you know, <laughs> and just really experience things in and take things in because it's so annoying seeing everybody all constantly taking pictures. I mean, and I took pictures too, but like some people are obsessive about it or, you know, we were talking about this earlier in the show with the, like the, you know, the snap spectacles and everything. Like you're not really seeing the world. You're, you're constantly seeing the world. Even if you're, it's, even if you're actually there, you're still seeing it through the 5.5 inch screen, right? What a pity. Because there's so much to take in and, and I'd love to just pack light and just like turn off the world for a while and actually turn off the world so that I could experience the world. I got to experience it still, but I mean, I still ended up doing a a bunch of work and everything. And believe me, like I want to make sure the patrons have content. I want to make sure you're getting your episodes and everything. And I'd never change that. I make sure you have sovereign tech every single week. If it's a day late every once in a while, there's a reason, you know, travel, whatever it is, but I always make sure you have a new episode every week. I've never failed on that. Um, but there's a part of me, not that wanted to stop doing sovereign tech at all, but just that really wanted to like, not so much worry. You know, I, I've, I've said this many times in, in the past uh, couple of years that I have come to define success as how much time can you be AFK? How much time can you be away from keyboard? You know, and can you be permanently away from keyboard? You know, can you, can you become permanently AFK? That's really successful. And I think if that's the metrics metric of success, you find out that guys like Mark Zuckerberg and so on and so many other, like, I mean, they're, they're not really successful because they can't do that. You know, there, there's, there's a real power I think in having that. And it's a funny thing because I remember traveling like in the late nineties and the early aughts, a lot of times I was thinking, Ooh, you know, I go, I want to check my email. I want to check my email. Like I was wanting to have the internet connection wherever I went and I couldn't have it. And now it's the exact opposite. I want to travel and I don't want internet connection. Like I really don't. I mean, I made sure that I had it and blah, 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 you know, but I really, I think I would have been, you know, it'd be so much a more powerful experience and could have really like sunk in a lot more. I almost want to travel the world to get away from it, you know, to get away from the internet. And this, this trip really, really highlighted that. Uh, and because you see how annoying it is when people you're with are constantly connected, even if you try not to be. Um, I mean, and I still had to be because, you know, I have clients and I have other people that I work with and whatever, but yeah, that, that really, that, that struck home. Um, and also, you know, at the end of it, it felt so good to have a home base, you know, to, to come back to that, 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 that was really, you know, when I got back to America, uh, you know, when Stephanie and I got back, it was just so nice to have a home base, uh, waiting for you there. I know some people want to go like full digital nomad and I totally respect that. And I know a lot of my listeners are digital nomads. Um, but it does feel good, you know, to have a home base to come to after, you know, an experience like that, um, you know, that you can just, I mean, because I think that that helps with the stress of it, because it can be stressful to travel, you know, to go to a bunch of different countries, constantly crossing borders, and you have all these authoritarian asshats that are fucking with you. And, you know, it can be really stressful. And so, but if you have in the back of your mind that there's always a bed that you can lay in, that's really, that's a really important thing to have as well. So it's always good to come home. And to have a home, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's a really great thing. Um, whatever shape that takes for you, you know, 
So anyway, it was overall it was a very powerful experience taking in all of that art, which I think everybody should do. Take in art, take in the world. Uh, that was a really wonderful thing, and it, it really hit home. <laughs> no pun intended. It really hit home for me the importance of doing that because uh, it was very refreshing to do. But at the same time, it's also good to get back. And of course, it's great to be back in the BDSM studio, uh, which is where my little brand of magic uh, gets created. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah, the European trip, that, that was a hell of a thing. Um, and, and I, I really recommend that, that people do that, uh, you know, and get out there, go experience that art around the world and go experience the world. But do me a favor, as much as we love technology on Sovereign Tech, as much as we talk about how it can help free us, free yourself from it for a little while when you do so and really let all of it sink in let the art sink in let the world's you know let 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 what you can see around the world and all these beautiful cities and so on in beautiful you know geographic areas let that sink in for you okay because i mean it and it believe me it's an experience you know it's an experience in itself okay and don't let the technology kind of distract you uh you know from from really taking it in and and bring people with you you know you, you can go alone too and that can be a powerful experience in and of itself um, but, you know, bring bring your loved ones with you and and really, you know, all of you kind of get together and, and maybe take a little digital Shabbat from your tech and just enjoy what's around you. And, and yeah, it, it, it was there. There were points on this trip that we were absolutely a powerful experience. So, again, we might talk more about it on uh, the Relationship Ronda show uh, on Patreon. And if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. That'll be it for this week's Sovereign Tech Woo, we're getting close to episode 300. We'll see what happens. I will see all of you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Evolution.